We are starting. Everybody, we are starting. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Break the Rule stream. I am your humble host, Lev Poliakov, a.k.a. Lev Poe on Twitter. I'm and Giant we are Geo here. Giant Geo. Hashtag Giant Geo. Invest in Geo. Invest in Love. Invest Lev. in Love. <laughs> also invest in Daruma Radio and also invest in Uber Boyo, a.k.a. Steph, a.k.a. one of the most inspiring recent people, uh, YouTubers. Uh, I'm not really sure what the best designation for you is, but either way, you rock, man. Like, I've been really enjoying the hell of the hell and the heaven uh and the astral realm out of your videos so first off uh tell us a little bit about yourself how you got started for all the yes. uber boyo fans here subscribe subscribe and subscribe i can't stress this enough we got to grow and we are going to grow thanks to your help we your talk help. about and similar things but also politics but also goon caves and uh, yes <laughs> topas and uh ufology and uh um denying certain historical no i'm kidding i'm kidding not denying certain historical you should you should say the notes for my videos we probably have a lot in common you know oh, <laughs> oh yes we do um but i've been binging your videos ever since um i think i think you, you're, you're one of your videos linked to a uh, meme analysis who's also come a mm. uh, friend mm. of the show Chris, um, yeah. Good job. tell us about your not just about your YouTube, I guess your YouTube channel, but your journey into oh. the realm of uh, things like you know, young in depth psychology. I myself, even way before Jordan Peterson, um, young was a lifelong passion interest of mine uh, to the point where I obsessively would buy every, you know, part of his collected works and even the red book, which mm. I couldn't bring down. It's too, it's too like bulky to show. I have the reader's edition here. Do you have the big um, beastly one? The big, I do. I, I bought it right one. in 2012. Yeah, fucking and, uh, mad, man. That's yeah. the stuff. <laughs> but please tell stuff. us tell us about yourself. I'm very curious about your journey into it. Sure. Um, Look, bros, I love going into this stuff. Uh, no, not just because you get to talk about myself, but there's the, the, the <laughs> kind of intellectual history that I follow and covers young Nietzsche. I'm a big fan of Nietzsche. I would say I'm more Nietzschean than Jungian. It's just that Jung mm. is more suitable for the kind of modern age off the back of Jordan Peterson and all that. And thank you very much for the kind and glorious intro, gentlemen. That was a great one. And by all means, any of my boyos who are listening to this, please give these guys a like, smash and subscribe and leave a very pretty and nice comment down there below that's all good for the Rich algorithm endorsement yes and the bell don't forget the bell and by the way what is what is a boyo before we even start with your journey what you. is boyo it loses its meme power if i tell you i cannot tell you <laughs> there i cannot go. tell you um it is uh it's it's irish it's it's an irish thing but look there's it's probably better you don't know that's the it's one of those things it's one of those <laughs> things um my my journey with this jesus lord like it begins years ago actually you bring up the red book and it's a pretty pretty good place to start M might even push it back a little bit more but nonetheless my first experience coming across the red book coming across that strange strange idea and um, was actually one of my friends my friend was very very um actually big crypto dude and he uh, showed up in my house one day here in dublin and he he brought the big this big massive book just as it got released i can't remember what year it was it must have been 2013 it was a couple of years after it got released and he showed up with the red book and he opened it up for me and i think there was something quite interesting about it because of all the intellectual things i like hung around books and stuff like that but young's red book had an aura about it because it was like a crazy artistic thing there was all these like colorful pictures in it and all this and you looked at it there's there's something about certain things that have power to them i don't know how to describe it there's like an 
aura or something like that. You see the art popping up behind Lev there. And there's there's something about uh, there's sort of like a prestige in certain works. So I guess the two most defining works um, in my intellectual history, if you so will, were Thus Spoke Zarathustra and Jung's Red Book, as I've so noticed. Jung's, the other stuff by Jung is like pretty cool. He covers a lot of things like that, but they never quite caught me as much as the visionary work that he did. And Zarathustra is quite similar. Like it, 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 it's actually, I don't even think it reads as easy perhaps as uh, more of Nietzsche's other works, but there's something very prestigious and powerful about it. It hits on a sort of style of thinking, the visionary and poetic. It's the poetic, if you know what I mean. It hits on that type of way of experiencing things that are quite profound and quite interesting. So I was always drawn to those two type of things. And I was in a house when I met this gentleman who brought up the brought the red book up to me and I was actually going through a Nietzsche binge at the time because I had just dropped out of university because I was in university and th this is like to anybody who likes Jordan Peterson I was in university this was long before he was around but um, I, there was like I dropped out because there was a lot of uh, for example I was reading the communist manifesto in year one I was reading about critical theory I was reading about all these type of things and not that I was in any way a big brain who was like oh this is this is terrible stuff we shouldn't be subverting the west or anything like that I was just like this is shit this is like all jargon it's boring it's convoluted it's not like really speaking to me at all in, in, in any regard and in so i was regard, and so i was I I was just not enjoying it at all. So I just sort of dropped out. I just bounced out of it. But I did find interest in the sort of thinking realm, the philosophy realm, if you so wish. And so I got into Nietzsche and I had this idea that I was going to read through all of Nietzsche, all of the philosophy and Plato and all that type of stuff to prepare myself for Nietzsche and then read Thus Spoke Zarathustra. And so around about this period of my life, um, I was going through that point where I was like diving into Nietzsche, the big visionary work by him, and diving into Jung, the red book by him, and trying to figure out, like, I, I can't describe it, but there's so something to those type of things. And just before I began this real, um, you could say, that just before I, the hammer hit the, the nail and I was about to rip open Zarathustra and go into them and rip open uh, the Red Book and go into them, I had just taken my first ever heroic dose of LSD by myself mm. in nature. And so I had the kind of visionary mind that was absolutely shining like an absolute madman. And that became the the this big sort of moment for me, if you will. Now, um, I read into these and it was the biggest letdown of my life because I went, I ripped open Zarathustra, I read through the whole thing. I I didn't understand anything. It completely went over my head. It was like too hard to figure out. I read through. Oh, I read through young. I read through. Why did you choose that as your? Why did you choose? Oops. Sorry, sorry about that. Please uh, unlock yourself right unlock now. Yourself I just did. Right now. I just did. Yeah, you got feedback. Yeah, you got so, feedback. Sure so make sure that. that okay, I'm gonna mute you right now. Make sure make that you don't have. Yes. <laughs> make sure that you don't have the feedback going on when it's uh, when, when uh, you're listening to this. Put on headphones or whatever to make sure that that does not happen. But we are going to get back to you, Thad Ascendant. Thank you so much for being here. Let's see. Does it work now without the feedback? Talk to us. Can you hear me? Yes, oh, yeah. I can. Amazing. All right. Loud and clear. I was just curious. Uh, what? Why was Zarathustra the point of entry that you chose for Nietzsche? So this is this is sort of what I'm I'm trying to get on sort of something I was mentioning just before you kind of popped on was um the, it's it's strange there's there's like a lot of what, when you listen to my channel, you're going to hear me talk about the neurology of the brain. You, you probably know if you've ever cut someone's head open that the brain is split in half and there's two sections to the brain, if you know what I mean. There's a right hemisphere and a left hemisphere. Now, there's something quite fascinating about the difference between these two. It's not talked too much. It's quite controversial in neurology, but nonetheless, it is real. There is plenty of studies to back this up. For example, if you cut out someone's, if you give someone a stroke in their right hemisphere, please don't do that to people. But if you do it, they will have all these like weird effects such as being delusional and speaking in abstractions and being able 
able to talk. Whereas if you bang someone's head with a hammer on the left side of their head, they'll lose the ability to speak, but they'll be able to sort of, um, they'll be very, very emotionally intelligent still, but they just won't be able to communicate and whatnot. Not and only so- that, uh, for, the, for those listening, look up Phineas Gage. Phineas Gage is a uh, rail worker from the 1800s who had a spike yeah. blown through his head. I believe it, I forget which hemisphere it destroyed, but this is kind of considered a corroboration that if you destroy a specific part of the brain on one side, you'll have that problem. So in, in complete agreement with you, I'm actually just jumping on now because I just left the neurologist. Um, nice. Go on. Nice. nice. Good, man. I hope the brain is in good shape. If you're just leaving there, I hope there's no, I hope you're yeah. doing for high performance. Getting recreationally punched and kicked in the head is a, is a bad decision. Um, and that's something I've chosen to do. So I'm, uh, Currently mm. recovering from post-concussion syndrome. And I want to do a quick shout-out to uh, Thad's workout plan. I just came back from... Now, I know you may be a bit disappointed. The only thing I got a chance to do today was a deadlift. But it was one of those deadlifts where I did a much larger amount than I thought that I would do just because I confused the weights. You know, I thought that I was actually going to do less, <laughs> so I ended up doing more oh. because I didn't have my my stupid brain to tell me that this is the only amount you can do. So, just, oh, yeah. bro, we can go into this as well. See, there's... Look, here's... I'm going to Oh, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you get into motor activation, motor activation just ba- is often a limitation of your, of your brain, your, your conscious brain. Um, of course, we could get into that. But, hey, good for you, man. Happy to, happy to hear that you're enjoying that. I just really mocked all of that up to, to kind of wireframe my entire philosophy of fitness. But nobody has used it. Lev, you are N equals one. So thank you. Nice. Well, <laughs> well, we're, we're going to see how it goes. I think it's going to go well. But uh, Uperboyo or Steph... When it comes to this, let's say, cartoon-like vision that you were describing that you had before that heroic dose, where you were describing the outside environment being gray, being bleak, but what was going on inside at that time? And this is like before everything got shiny on the outside. Well, let me let me pull a lot of this stuff into order so we can sort of lay some groundwork here because we've got a lot of talk about it, sure, over the unfolding hours, the unfolding minutes. Um, so as I was saying, there's those two modes of consciousness and uh, you could say the left hemisphere, the right hemisphere, they all have sort of characteristic traits. Now, I've noticed that the left hemisphere tends to look almost like an intellectual, if you so wish. It tends to be very wordy. It's tend to be orientated in this type of way that is, um, you could say, uh, even a little bit stiff. And maybe that's a mode of consciousness that shows up in quite a lot of intellectual and written works. Whereas there is also, and you understand it quite well, a different way that you can communicate. You can communicate without words, for example. You can paint pictures. You can look at something like music. That that talks in a weird way. Your body language talks and all these type of things. The right hemisphere tends to be an awful lot better with these. Not exclusive, but an awful lot better. Now, what you find interesting is that there's a style of writing known as poetry, that is actually way more in alignment with the arts of painting than explaining, if you will. And so if I explain something to you, it's usually not very poetic. It's very practical, which is important. But if I speak to you in poetry or speak to you in this kind of colorful way, if you will, that uh, hits your mind in an awful lot of a different, has a different aura and power about it. And you could call this the mythopoetic mind, as they often talk about, or the part where maybe you dream or something like this. And so I, 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 we know that these are separate faculties and we, we understand the, the use and, and the abuse of both of them. Um, but I started to notice that when I'd look through certain people like Jung and Nietzsche, you'd look through, for example, Nietzsche's work, and there's a huge amount of his stuff that's very explainy, you know, and he's an incredibly good writer, so he gets away with it. Like he explains with style and even poetry, if you will. But Zarathustra stands out as something that it's almost like he just let go and it was just completely the poetic mind that was ripping out of him completely. It was almost as if there's um, something else speaking through him. In fact, that's what he described it as. He said he was gifted that sort of bliss of inspiration. Jung himself 
himself, looking at Zarathustra, said, and we can talk about this if you so wish, that, oh my God, Nietzsche, it looks like Nietzsche had an archetype speaking true, as Jung would say. Now, I'm not even sure if I, I like the way Jung does it, but nonetheless, it's, it's you're kind of getting where you, you see where I'm getting at. This is sort of moving into this. Zarathustra is like a work where something was speaking through Nietzsche. And what I noticed is that it had an aura. Now, I'm, I'm like, I'm a weird dude. I'm, maybe I was taking a lot of LSD at the time, so I was kind of tuning into this stuff on a level that you know, most people don't. But I noticed that it had that type of aura, like Genealogy of Morals, my favorite book by Nietzsche. But, and it's brilliant, but it didn't have that quite aura that Zarathustra had. Zarathustra was this grand story and, a, and, and dream. It was literally like a dream, if you want to think about it. It's like you're seeing inside his head. And the same with Jung. Jung, Jung is a terrible writer. He's absolutely shocking to read. Like, it's just so boring and crap. Like, I would love to just the fucking... Footnotes alone, him. my God. I mean... Oh, man. I'd love to give him a slap and be like, here, bro, come on, like, work on this. You're going to be, like, well-known, please. And But, yeah, he's very, very stiff. He's, like, slow, meandering. He's, like, a bit of it esoteric very explainy you know very left hemisphere as i would say and um, but of course the red book is like it's massive schizophrenic break with all these flashy colors and pictures and there's all these big breakings of narratives actually i look at the red book by young and it actually looks like the war between these two parts of his mind you see these big long ranty explaining um, passages that are like my soul my soul and all this type of you know right whatever carol like just calm down and then there's these sudden these bursts of literal narratives like he talks to the the devil and he talks to he goes into some like castle where there's a princess and he, he sneaks past the princess's dad and bangs her like there's like all this crazy stuff going on that's very i would say like poetic if you will he meets elijah at one point in salome he, yes yeah. it's just all that type of stuff and, and 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 this was the type of stuff that i tuned into there was something about that that hit me it was like the part of our minds the dream and when you see works manifest this way they have a bigger impact the bible is full of stuff like this and of course um the things like paradise lost and the things that stick out in the western canon of having that type of poetic power william blake is another example of this mm -hmm. it's a slightly different style of um creative as opposed to and you could say creative literature as opposed to say the more explainy philosophy side of things which is there's nothing wrong with that as i'm saying it's practical it has its uses but for some reason it doesn't have that um, energetic power it's like a language of symbols versus a language of language and that was the sort of difference so i sort of began there and as i said i ripped i ripped through all this type of stuff i found the images very beautiful but i didn't have a fucking clue what they're all about and so uh, that was the sort of beginning of I, I guess you could say my journey i didn't even make that much of it at that point i just sort of dropped a lot of it and got into fighting and, and started to read my dreams because young told me to and that sort of led me into more an extended part of training but um yeah that was the sort of beginning of a lot of that stuff for me so i don't know what type of a foundation that paints but uh yeah if you have any thoughts so probably would you say that um when you finally and and we have a similar journey although i you know made the mistake of sticking it out to to the grad well the master's level um and i studied nietzsche intensively in grad school uh yeah. but so do you do you think that um when you did eventually go on to read especially the genealogy of morals and um even the earlier works such as um uh, well, no, Twilight of Light Idols was later, but The Birth of Tragedy and so forth. Did, did you start to see sort of these pictures clicking in your mind of what Zarathustra was conveying in terms of honoring the earth and these sort of these th this mythos that Nietzsche was creating that is an inverted mythos of what was the Western tradition before him? Does that really did it start to sort of make sense to you because there unfortunately a lot of Nietzsche scholars nowadays they almost like entirely bracket or discredit Zarathustra and they're like that's not important but really it's come on that's really? the most important yeah I don't follow yeah, any I know, of them, modern, the modern Nietzsche industry is kind of he predicted it by the way the the Nietzsche 
publishing industry he hated uh, <laughs> that academicism around his work so well brother i wait until i show you the youngians you'll like you'll carl oh, will be twisting in yeah. his grave as well but look that's the way it works isn't it i'm sure i wonder what jesus would think about the christians at the same time so it's uh yeah it's it's the way the game works i think it's the way the game works wonder what the fight club people would think of, or tyler Durden to think of the fight club people it's um <laughs> Yeah, so me, me reading Genealogy of Morals, a lot of this stuff, and Nietzsche talked about this too, like a lot of this stuff didn't make sense to me until I lived an awful lot more. Like one of the most important things for me was going to do combat training, even try and sort of like, you could say more degenerate things, like uh, learn how to talk to girls and stuff like this. Like these type of things really opened me up to experiences, like fear, like overcoming that type of stuff, really basic self-help stuff that you kind of hear about. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that was all things that I would do. I go out and try to have a lot of experiences. I kind of try I clash myself up against the world. And I guess um, one of the most important things for me, it was actually, I, I kind of t alluded upon it, that idea of, of reading my dreams. It seems like the most ridiculous kind of like, why would you waste your time doing that fucking bullshit stuff? Like what you, what we have to, and it was a kind of bad idea in some sense, because I could have spent that time in my early twenties and um, making money or something like this. But um, I, I, I go through reading my dreams. I develop this faculty. I go and I do public speaking. I go and I go perform on stage. I go and I go and learn to fight. I go and I go and like, like, you know, stand and take punches, step into the fear, all that type of stuff. Go talk to, to talk to people socially, flower out and all this. And um, I'm I'm then also doing this thing where I'm trying to, as you could say, read my dreams. And, and Jung just told me to do this. He said, I read, literally read like four lines. And Jung was like, you'll individuate faster if you read your dreams. I was like, all right, fuck it, Carol. Everything that you're writing is taking too long. So I'm just going to I'm just going to go with this and try it. And um, from doing the dream reading, what I noticed is that it began to switch on. It's very, very strange. I don't know exactly why. I assume nowadays, and we can talk about some of the studies behind this, that uh, the right hemisphere looks like during dreams, it's talking to the left hemisphere. I can explain that more detail if you wish um but i assume that because i was reading the dreams for an extended period of time i invoked some type of i don't know neurological connection in that regard and i started to notice that i switched on this imagination of mine that i had very strong when i was a kid and i sort of lost when i was uh, a teen as as lev was asking me there earlier and when i got that part of myself switched on it was like a fountain or a i don't know a dream mind or something like this all of these books began to click immediately after that because it was like I was thinking a different way. I was thinking from a different perspective. I, I don't even know how to quite say it. It was like I was thinking in color as opposed to thinking in a flat way, if you wish. And then, then when I would look over what Zarath, that's, that's for example, when I'd look over Zarathustra and be like, fuck, that's what he's talking about. And when I'd read Nietzsche say stuff like God is dead, I started to understand that he wasn't like, you know, uh, what's his name? Christopher Hitchens or whatever it is, or even Jordan Peterson's kind of take on it, if you will. He was actually sort of suggesting that the fountain of creative dreaming energy in the Western psyche is dead and it's not coming back in the way the, that you wanted to. The heliospheric to. picture of society and religiosity itself was dead. And that sort of like modernity came in vivisected us from those possibilities well, well, is it a similar to the uh, npc meme you'd say when it comes to somebody who was all grayed out in the beginning and then there was another meme where a finger touched him and then all of a sudden burst out all this light uh, so actually like i think what you're just after saying there is a great way to illustrate it so forgive me if i i, I do tend to rant so forgive me if i if i um, expand this one out but and um, what sort of happened to me is i was like as a kid i was like a delusional on drugs all the time running around drawing pictures i had all these pictures of like crazy big realms of monsters and all these aliens and all this stuff and then i go to school and i get you know prussian education system conditioned slammed into the books learn these squiggly symbols and the the brocas area swells in the left hemisphere the right hemisphere dies off 
off, I got kind of go quiet and then it all dies out and I get stuck into the grayscale way of living and I'm getting conditioned to be an NPC in the world. And of course I sort of turned into one in some sense. LSD kind of snaps that out of me a little bit, but it's not permanent. And then dreams come along, they turn that back on again. Now, if I look, I look over at, for example, art history, like the transition between romanticism and modernism, that actually looks so similar to that, that process. There was this innocence in romanticism of like a, the, the cultural spirit was in a childlike state, even though it was sort of at its at its peak, if you will. It was nonetheless sort of innocent and very easy to imagine these big, you know, Wagnerian scenes and all this type of stuff or, or like all those really, really big European um, European myths that are wrapped up in that. Irish um, nationalism was really tied up to romantic music. So we have Yeats and we have all those poets and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And Yeats himself, you see transitions when they go into modernity. It literally looks like uh, that part of that whole mythopoetic thing gets pushed out of the way in in favor of this very highly pragmatic um, style of thinking, intellectual style of thinking. Yeats starts writing political poems and all of European culture gets obsessed about, um, you know, the sort of intellectuals. You get people like Sartre and even Nietzsche showing up and all this type of stuff. And um, there's this like a lot of critical theory, a lot of this de deconstructionism starting to pop up and art starts to take this weird turn where it's more about shock factor as opposed to grandeur and beauty. And I noticed that a lot of the symbols sort of die. It's not things aren't as vivid and as big thinking anymore, if you know what I mean. And it does actually look like you shifting into that sort of, I would say, left hemisphere style of thinking. And I understand that as the the the, the God is dead experience in a you know, down to a phenomenological way, like that, that disappears out of our reality, disappears out of the culture, if you know what I mean. And then Nietzsche kind of pointed to that saying, until that fountain is switched back on, we're going to be in some fucking crazy shit, guys. We're in for a wild couple of uh, centuries. Let's put it that way. And I think he, um, you think he was on the money. What do you mean um, when you say you were reading your dreams? Like, were you keeping a dream journal and, and, oh, and tracking it? Or what do you mean? Well, all right. So I read through Jung and, um, and Jung was like, yeah, you should read your dreams. This is, this is kind of hard to explain. You should read your dreams, but you should read your dreams in, in a way that you are, it's like you're trying to listen to your unconscious. So he calls it your unconscious. Now I propose again, dudes, like this is just sort of a boyo science. It's like bro science in the gym. It's boyo science, but I would propose that. That, that right hemisphere of yours, because the studies show that when you get someone who wakes up after they wake up, after they get out of bed, and you would say to them, um, recall your fucking dream, pull the gun out, pull your fucking dreams up there, motherfucker. They, they start writing out their dreams and you do a, a scan on their head and you'll see that a part of their right hemisphere, so the right side of their brain will switch on and produce the dream. And so they propose and some of the suggestions and like it looks like it's fairly reasonable is that, well, the, the, the memories of the dreams are getting stored in this right hemisphere. It's sort of it probably means that in some sense, the dreams are coming from that place. That sort of makes logical sense. And so exactly. some people some people propose that the experience of a dream is the non-linguistic because this is what the right hemisphere doesn't have. It sort of speaks more in colors and emotions and holistic pictures. The non-linguistic symbolic right hemisphere is and bro, there's so much into this, we can get into this if you wish, is detecting all the stuff that's going on in the world, sort of unconsciously. And then when you go to sleep, your little left hemisphere word using ego tips down and goes in little snuggle land the right hemisphere switches on and it starts to like like a schizophrenic cousin flashing like it's all it's crazy art trying to say hey pay attention to this like but, kind of but, but the other but the other question is is it just extracting the things that are from uh, the world you're experiencing or is it also going to new sphere to the astral realm whatever the hell you Fucking want to call it yeah 
because when it comes to a lot of these symbols, like even the cross that you see here behind me, this is something, and I know for well, all the that people... Was, who... um, that, that was a painting he did, I believe, of a vision he had of this particular spirit guide over... Was it Bollinger or was it Zurich? I forget uh, where he was at at the time. But you could see like the town overhead. Mm. Um, and that came Unfortunately, to that country. town is behind me, and I'm not going to lower webcam for specific reasons. But uh, when, no it comes mode. To, <laughs> when it comes to uh, Donald ducking it, you could say. But when it comes to certain <laughs> visions, and I know that people who have already oh, listened God, to me that, talk no. about this, I know. Here we go again. But look, Uber go. Boyo is new here, so he is not aware of this. So this is why I want to share it with him. So I do the Wim Hof method, do the breathing technique put on the uh, thing that blocks your uh, light, and then I get like a white light generated in the center, different shapes, triangle, star, but mostly it's like a cross, like a very thin cross-like shape that's generated in the center, and then it also has like other little orbs that float around it. So here you could say, again, like everybody's already sick of seeing this thing, but this is what it looks like. And these orbs that are kind of like around it, they're just in the uh, periphery. And uh, another thing that's able to be done with this thing is you can create like uh, letters of the alphabet with this as well. So for example, in this post over here, you would see these are the letters. So we could have the letter A, the letter B, and this thing over here on the side, this is a spinning DNA helix in the middle with this three-dimensional <laughs> tower around That's it. That's bullshit, by the way. What evidence is this? No, it is not bullshit. No, it not is not bullshit. Uh, this... not, no, not your Wait, thing. what? I was, wait, wait, laughing, I was laughing at that as well. Oh, man, I thought for a second you thought I was backed by the Rockefellers. Holy by shit, the way, I wish. Just to make sure, I wish. We're, not a, we're not opposed to having Keith Woods also on the... But it's just it's hard to have two Irishmen on the same street. Yes. It's very... Yeah. So the basically, accent just throws everybody off. Yes. <laughs> so basically what I'm getting here is that I think a lot of these things are very uh, perennial and people experience these things in the state of meditation and they bring them out into like the artwork that's behind me as well as the, uh, you know, any other religious symbolism you could see. Even the Ankh of the Egyptians was something that I was able to visualize one time. So I don't know, like what was your experience with being able to go into these altered states? Do you think that there is this new sphere, this astral realm? Yes, um, uh, bro, like, I, I, look, I don't know how much time we have. I'm happy to go all night. I fucking love talking about this stuff. But there's so many different ways that you can, um, I, what's the right metaphor here? Cut, cut this cake and slice this pie. There's so many different ways that we can take a look at this thing. Because, for example, um, the, the newosphere, the, the astral plane, um, the, the right hemisphere, the left hemisphere. I try to stay really, really grounded in the science the best I can. I know it's a bit boil science, but I stay, stay grounded in that the best I can because it's something I can sort of rely on. So I'm, I'm going to give you three different possibilities, if you will, about what I'm thinking. Now, one of them I've already kind of cracked into about the idea of the dreams speaking to the left hemisphere um, or the right hemisphere speaking to the left hemisphere through dreams. You can look up the studies to talk about this. Now, the reason why this stuff starts to get, get kind of weird is because uh, like if you look up operations stargate by the cia what the cia did is they were trying to figure out was there any anything to all these fucking wanking wanking mystics like what the hell is going on here with this stuff and so they actually sat people down and they started to put on um, cg scans to their heads and get them to meditate get high level meditators in get nepalese meditators get weird new age people in and they discovered that these people were actually and um, doing things like well all right as, as much as we can trust what was coming out from some type of declassified study about meditation and astral projection and all that they discovered 
discovered that they could actually train people to astrally project. So they claim. And what they noticed is that what would happen is that they get this thing called hemisyncs, this experience of the two hemispheres within the brain. When you create this deep experience of relaxation through Kundalini yoga is literally what they said. You would create this synchronization between the two hemispheres, which would then create a sort of unified consciousness that is different than normal, which would allow people to remote view stuff. So they claim. I don't know what it is. You can literally go look up the documents if you want. It's extremely interesting. There's plenty of science underneath this as well. If you've ever heard about brain waves, you, you know about, for example, you've yeah. got the low brain waves that chill you out. Gamma brain waves, they're very, very famous for um, being the highest ones we get. When you stand there and you put together an idea, you have a eureka moment. You're like, oh, eureka, that type of feeling in your head or feeling in your mind. That's a flash of gamma waves. That's usually when you get them. And what happens is everything comes together. And of course, actually, what happens during that moment is the, the, the synchronization of the brain. Everything flashes together in this regard. A high level Nepalese meditator who is close to, shall we say, Nirvana, who's done 20 years of work. They usually have this constant all the time ping of a gamma rave going on. So these guys have trained themselves to switch on this synchronization. And of course, they see that the brain transmits and speaks across the hemispheres when you get these type of gamma waves in. So there's a possibility that yes, through something like meditation, you switch the brains together and get them to work together. And this is taking possibly the dreaming mind and the normal left hemisphere broke his era ego and getting them to talk to each other. Now, the reason why I keep on, I might even be pro proposing this and I'm only saying these foundations because I don't know how many people aren't familiar with my videos and whatnot. For example, the when, when you, when you um, cut, so when someone has epilepsy they they usually cut the, the middle between the two brains and this is where they actually started to study this and what they found is that you can actually show the person um words and the left hemisphere will see the words on one side but it won't see the words on the other side but you can get then the left hand to draw what it saw and it will draw the word on the side that the left hemisphere didn't see it so the conscious mind can see one side of it, which seems like it's on the left hemisphere, but the right hemisphere can sit there and see something and use the left hand because they're cross wired to draw what it sees. But it, when you ask the person, what did they see? It won't, they won't tell you what they see. So it almost looks like consciousness is separate and the right hemisphere is like, so, so like they're thinking and they're getting visions as if somebody else is implanting it into their heads of what to uh, write at that point, but they're not you, aware you, of actually seeing it. Can you get videos? Can you get videos by any chance in this? You can go up on YouTube. There's like a two-minute experiment if you want to find it. It's very yes, deep. as long as we don't get taken down for copyright, then I could put a video inside. Yeah, see, that's the only thing that I'm a little bit risky yeah, about. Kind of but uh, yes, but when it comes when it comes to Kundalini, I'm glad you mentioned it because that's the last thing that I did not mention. I also have the Kundalini in the back, and I've had it for several years. So when it comes to doing like the Wim Hof method, various breathing techniques, what ended up happening is like you breathe in slowly in and out, and all of a sudden you got this weird liquid snake-like energy that's going up and down through your back doing whirls and uh, I don't know exactly what the end point of this is going to be. People who have described uh, having certain profound experiences like my friend John Chavez who did the documentary over here in chat you can see DMT Quest retweeted by Joe Rogan by the way and uh, Dennis McKenna and we had Dennis on our show but anyway he talks about how you're absolutely right like these various brain waves are able to be manifested when uh, people either take DMT or when people meditate or when people also like meditate in combination with these breathing techniques so 
What I don't know, though, is what exactly happens towards the end. He described his experience, but he was also under uh, DMT, I believe, at the time, or mushrooms, where his consciousness felt like it went up through the spine and went all the way out of his brain and just went several feet up in the air. And a lot of people describe, a lot of monks describe this uh, sensation of samadhi, as they call it, where you, as the perceiver, and whatever it is that you're perceiving combines together into one whole. So at that point, you do feel like, I am the oneness, I am the oneness of the universe but it doesn't last and the interesting thing for me is like sure we could say eventually we are all we are all one man and all that but as far as how these things can actually change us as far as who we are like a lot of the romanticism i think comes from this idea of there being these hyperboreans or these atlanteans or these various people well, who were able the, to yeah no we're definitely getting into history, it history speaking of the yes. cia but yes exactly but Dur Duruma, you had a question then yeah yeah um yes yeah, so I was watching your video about the anima and you're talking with the, the, the hemispheres and I had an interesting thought. This is something from my own experience. So I've been lucid dreaming for about a decade now. Um, mm. I don't know like how common that is, but I have a decent amount of experience and I've experimented with a lot of uh, different things. And probably my favorite thing to do is like, oh, I'm dreaming. And then I'll see like a person walking around or like a monster or something like that. And I'll just like walk up to them and try and speak to them. And it's really fucking interesting. Like it's one of the, it's like, like people like to have sex in their dreams. They like to fly around, but like the most interesting thing to do is just like go That'd up be to amazing. one of these. You'd never have to learn game from mystery or do No, you like never, you don't know the mystery <laughs> method. <laughs> the only problem. So one of the reasons why I don't do that anymore is because if I'm going to fuck a girl in my dream, then my mind, like it loses track of everything. And then the, the whole dreamscape will like fade out. And then I will just like lose my dream. So I don't even try and do that. But the, the talking thing. So I noticed that they're most of the dream characters, when you walk up to them, they, they like know you're there and they like know that you're paying attention to them. And in a, in a different way than in real life, like you can sense like a very strong empathetic connection between yourself and the character. So you can feel their emotion, but you also know that like they have a different emotion than you do, which is kind of uh, an interesting, like, add on to this like left brain right brain but i don't know my my thinking is that my experience has led me to believe that there's a lot more than just like a right consciousness and a left consciousness i feel like mm -hmm. there's a lot but i don't know the interesting bit though uh they're very non-verbal usually when they when you walk up to them they like won't say anything but you can look at them and you can like you can like sense their emotionality which uh gives credence to that that thing but the really interesting bit in your video you said that sometimes people would get like a voice from God or something. And they oh, found that, here they we found go. that, here they we found go. that like when you have your right brain, like the chaos brain or the, the, the mythopoetic brain can speak, but like almost never does. But when it does, there's this very strange character, this like booming, like, like, like voice of command. And it'll be like a, like an Oracle, like the kind of thing an Oracle would say something that has a, a, a uh, a mysterious numinous quality to it that's it, like hard to define exactly what it means but that there's like a certainty and a power behind it and every once in a while one of these dream characters like will say something to me and it's almost always like that like that kind of thing like some some like half of a sentence or a sentence that i'll wake up in the morning and it's like what well, what does that even mean i don't know and it's very very fascinating so like my my little self-experimentation uh lines up a lot with this idea that you know you have your you have your right brain 
is is like really turned on it's almost like i feel like it's like you step in it's like taking a bath in the anima you like step into the it's like your ego when you're lucid dreaming steps into the world and like the whole world is like your right brain around you and uh yeah so 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 that bit and and the uh the the speaking and the nonverbal, but all that stuff really really lines there's, up with a lot of the stuff you're saying there's so many things to talk about there's a lot of interesting um perspectives and questions in the chat by the way for for a fellow student um yeah, I, I Terrence fallen student Terrence McKenna is kind of sus to me as much as I've watched hours upon hours of McKenna and read all of his books. Uh, there were some things he believed in that were, but anyways. Um, so Uber Boyle, what is what what Daruma was saying about act, active imagination and dreaming? Um, that's right up there with your with the bicameral mind and Julian Jaynes and oh yes uh, yes please can we get into that so I, I'd love to know um, who have we got here because like would you say most of these are Jungians or is there Nietzscheans here or something like this because I can dive into a lot of these type of things like if there's any people who are heavy on Nietzsche I love Nietzsche I really want to get into him um, but I guess kind of building up to this um, Nietzsche always had this proposition about, and this is actually relating to uh, Mr. Daruma Dar Dar radio. This is relating to what you're saying. Nietzsche um, would always say that the, the foundation of the, the, the West uh, related to the idea I was saying earlier about the sort of dreaming mind, the foundation of the rest is, is better looked at as something like Homer's odyssey. If you want to think about it Fusty that way. Spirit, in other words, yeah. The, the, the dream poetic that Homer was doing, as opposed to the rational um, speech that Socrates was doing, he would be like Socrates was a degenerate play is a bad idea this is all jargon it's all over intellectualization you need to go back to something you need to go back you must go back to something like homer something that is fertile and living something that flashes in your mind like crazy colorful stories he also said this about the bible the hebrews stand with a more powerful story than the greeks the greeks should sit in envy looking at the bible because look how vibrant and alive it is look how much power it is now julian james actually dives back to this really ancient bronze age world um, of the of homer and he looks back at the Bronze Age world of the Bible and he starts to know, he comes up with some wacky theories, bro, but a lot of us kind of clicks into place. Now, again, these I'm trying to establish first principles because it really, really makes the conversation get absolutely crazy as we walk up towards, you could say, the modern day and whatnot. Um, and if we go with this idea that these two hemispheres have different jobs, which I think all the evidence suggests they do, and one of them looks to be an awful lot more like the conscious ego that we understand. If we were able to play videos, I could show you this. It would hit even harder. And then, of course, the other one seems to take on some type of role of some type of outside force that's incredibly powerful, quite close, actually, to like a rendering power, maybe even a personality, for all we know. Ian McGill, Chris Demano, quite a lot into this, often suggest this. Now, I don't know exactly what it's supposed to do, because um, as Daruma brought up uh it i don't think it is the other itself i don't think the right hemisphere is the other i think it might be the sort of portal to the other or something like that it has it's almost like the the angel on your shoulder or the leprechaun or mercury or or the holy spirit on your shoulder that helps you interact the psychopomp that helps you interact with the with the other world or something like that or maybe the realm of the emotions i think maybe that's what's going on but i'm kind of getting a little bit um um sloppy there if, if you wish uh, going too far nonetheless there, there there are these two forces and what julian james noticed when he was looking at these ancient things is that if you read 
true the Iliad, there's this very naked and kind of strange thing where the people are like NPCs. Like Achilles is standing there and Agamemnon says, I'm going to fuck your bitch. And Achilles is like, no, what? No, you're not. Fuck off. No, you're not. And he gets really mad. And then out of nowhere, um, Athena just shows up and grabs him by his hair. The same way as like, uh, you know, the angel on your shoulder would grab the, the Christian and say, oh, hold on a second. Athena shows up and grabs his hair and pulls him back and says, don't do that. And it's almost like there's an outside force talking to him and saying, don't do this. And here's the reason why. It's like some type of programs running in his head. And, and Julian James is proposing that, that that intervention that Achilles experienced was the, the experience of his right hemisphere intervening in, the, in, in, in front of the left hemisphere. Now, this, again, neurochemically actually makes sense. The right hemisphere is, is got a lot more noradrenaline receptors within it, whereas the left hemisphere is higher wired towards dopamine. The left hemisphere is like your practical doer dude in the world. He's like your Achilles. He's like your soldier. He goes out and he operates in the world. So dopamine is all about getting you motivated and hyped up. You've got all those circuits in there and you're like i'm gonna go do the thing i'm gonna do go do the thing i'm gonna go get the berry and then the right hemisphere sees a danger or a bear or something dangerous in out of the corner of your eye and so it fills you full of noradrenaline which is the arousal and fears it's that like adrenaline <gasps> what the hell is that and so the right hemisphere comes in and bullies the left hemisphere snaps it out of its dopamine train and brings it back into order and so he starts to propose stuff like as you're saying the the um in the in the Ilias, the Athena is like possibly the voice of the right hemisphere or some type of figure of the right hemisphere or some type of interpretation of the chemistry of the right hemisphere grabbing Achilles, which is the ego and holding him back. And you see this stuff happen all around the Iliad. And it's very, very strange because the people in here are completely possessed and ruled by the gods. The gods own them. They don't really think for themselves. And this gives them this power. Nietzsche loved this about them. This gives Achilles the power to brutalize Hector's body and destroy him. It gives them the power of incredible cruelty. It gives them the power to laugh because it's like, I'm hurting you for in the name of Zeus or something like this. And it's joy. It's joy in my domination. I'm doing what the gods want through me. And I completely trust the gods. They are sort of like NPCs for the gods. They're simps for the gods in some type of sense. And well, it's then like- in Young as, as well, he talked about how a lot of, um, well, I guess the politically incorrect term, primitive cultures experience life through entirely through the unconscious. But what you're saying is Nietzsche, he, um, by going back to the pre-Socratics, by going back to what is beyond the Greeks, he really um, wanted to place that sort of Bronze Age, Bronze Age primordial, uh, the blonde beast, the rule of the strong, and how this sort of reified version of reason that came about later with the Greeks, with, Platon, with Platonism mm. specifically, that that sort of dragged the strong down to the level of discourse, down to the level of reason, and reason became sort of that... Um, that sort denaturing of. process, if you will, yeah. I, I think well, the well, you could even see it in the artwork, I think. Like, uh, the, well, we'll get uh, to that, but... Yeah, go. Well, well, I just want to quickly say, uh, do you think, Uber Boyo, that uh, it was just Athena or some gods that intervened, or do you think pretty much the entire lives of the ancient, the uh, archaic, rather, Greek people was the voice of the gods, where there was not one moment where they were not controlled by some aspect of these archetypes, and they were kind of, oh, maybe they were aware, maybe they weren't aware, I don't know, like, what would be the, uh, the most yeah. correct approach here? 
So this is it's, it's very speculative, first of all, but there is serious evidence to look at this. This is like, you know, Graham Hancock level theory being like, all oh, right, well, you know, the younger Dryas and maybe in a couple of years, people will be like, what? Ian McGilchrist is right. Julian James is right. Like, maybe that's going to come down. So I'll give you the I'll give you the take. And I really, really stand in this take. I think it's a lot better than the most science that's kind of going around nowadays, passing for psychology and neurology. And just because there's 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 something that, that Gio brought up that is such a huge idea that I definitely, definitely want to get into. The idea of what Nietzsche meant by the re-evaluation of values and going back to these ancient values and what exactly that meant. Because, of course, there is a dynamic that you're talking about, about, yo, you want to go back to the Chad values, fuck these fucking slave morality and all that shit. But nonetheless, there's there's another aspect to it as well. And I, want, I, I would like to think of it, this is the side of Nietzsche that I think actually no one really, really hits on, that Nietzsche was suggesting, he called it Apollo versus Dionysus. Nietzsche was suggesting we go back to a Dionysian way of relating to our passions. You can actually find this in Twilight of the Idols. He talks quite extensively about the improvers of mankind having the wrong idea about um, the, div the divination of the passions, the, the, the understanding of what the passions are. So his sort of notion was that, well, we need to go back into a, a place where we can actually fully surrender and trust our instincts. That's, that's simply what it is. Now, not in the sense that we want to become angry chads or anything like that. Not that he was against that, but he was just sort of saying that there has to be some type of ability for us to surrender to something that is not the ego, if you will. And and he he saw a neurotic, um, over-intellectualized, abstract, Socratic, Western philosophy, Plato, Christianity, Abrahamic God. He saw that as like neurotic egotism, sort of his proto version of left brainism, if you will. And he looks back at the people in Homer's day and they could, he described it as like, they could go around and they could murder an entire village, almost like a student prank and, and, and understand that as Aries speaking through them. And they were so able to surrender to that. It was like kind of crazy. They're like, how could they do this? They didn't really have self-consciousness. Like, you know, the conscience was an invention by, by, a, by, a, by slave people, like that type of thing they didn't have this their reason or their faculties to reason or their faculties to make decisions it, it, that was merely like some type of a thing that decided which god they followed he sort of proposes this that reason is not the the god it's not the the prime entity in the mind that's what the left hemisphere think that's what the ego think reason is merely the the communicator like like freud said it's the the person who operates between all the other forces within your mind in this type of regard then when you look back in julian jane's idea and see that you've got this sort of right hemisphere and the neurology is kind of backing this up that the right hemisphere is more in touch with reality it's 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 less prone for example when the right hemisphere gets damaged you lose iq when the left hemisphere gets damaged you don't actually use iq all sorts of things like this showing that the right hemisphere is a pretty juicy boy over there and it tends to operate in this unconscious way and it tends to operate in this instinctive way and embodied way and then um, the proposition is that these Greeks, these ancient Homeric Greeks, despite being monstrous in some of the ways they coordinated themselves, were very Dionysian, were very free and very in touch with a, a sort of neurological wiring that's quite good is the only way we could describe it. It's a, it's a very, very, it's 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 almost like the, the step before we became conscious when we were sort of semi-animals, but we still had the mm. fucking massive supercomputer. I, I kind of I kind of doubt it. Now I know Geo's probably sick of me saying this, but I'm gonna propose a really radical thought 
brought to you right now, Uberboyo. Completely not backed by science. I have not studied this. This is just something that I feel in my guts. I think that we came first. I think that human beings were first, and then came the monkeys, and then came all the other uh, lower <laughs> yeah. primates and all the other animals. Because right, we, I'm down. like, Sign me up. our okay, form. I'm down. I mean, look, look at our form, first of all. It is based on sacred geometry, while the animals look like they are morphed versions of human beings. And I am going to get to the uh, comment for 50 DKK. I don't know how much that is in dollars. That is 8 US dollars. Thank you so much, Inoa Hawaii, who asks thoughts on Satan. And we are definitely going to get to Satan in a bit. But before... But, before... but this complicates, I think, like, you know, this is a more nuanced version of Nietzsche's take on Christianity. Not take, I... Twitter just plutes our language. Um, <laughs> Nietzsche's um, corpus of, of work analyzing Christianity because he did have a high regard for the Semitics. The, um, he did see that even the conquest of reason over the, the natural, over the Dionysian is in itself an act of self-overcoming and that uh, Christ himself was sort of a, the prime example of an overman. Uh, and that word itself is complicated. So he didn't totally demonize um, this sort of the machinations of reason, but that it became a, a supplement for what was more ancient within us. And of course, uh, I wanted to get, but I'll get your thoughts on that, but also we'll go to um, what I wanted to talk about with in terms of the art history, because there's some fascinating comments. And also someone said that uh, this type of pseudo mystification comes with uh, a lot, <laughs> this sort of pseudo mystical, uh, um, the Irish tell fantastic stories because they have contr little control or interest in material. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. Oh man, I would add one like thing. That... That, well, they were Scottish, but it's kind of yeah. like that part in uh, Train Spotting. It's yeah. like, uh, we're Scottish for the lowest of the low work because uh, we're controlled by a bunch of languages. Scottish, Irish. Okay, no, I'm not going to do that. But uh, to um, comment on what Gio just said right now, I would add one more thing here, which is we can look at other tribes like quote-unquote primitive tribes or whatever you want to call them. We could look at other people who get to the level of regular human sacrifices, uh, not just animal sacrifices like the archaic Greeks, cannibalism, you know, very down and dirty things that we wouldn't really do today, yet I'm sure that a a lot of them are living in this psychedelic realm and this dream state uh, yep. most of the time. So what's interesting for me is to think like, what what's the trajectory we're going? If these people were in a way like the fingers of the hand, then maybe we are becoming the hand and then eventually the body of something that has more responsibility, where we are kind of being taught throughout the aeons how to become a more responsible creature to maybe get to a higher level of consciousness and not just be the plaything of the gods. Maybe that way we get to be whatever they're called you know being the gods this is this is why this is why the talk on nature is going to be excellent because i think that's an interesting take that's the sort of jungian platonic ideal take is that the reason why we're going through this journey is that we're evolving forwards towards a higher level of consciousness there's we're going towards some type of ideal where we're going to be more the conscious age of Aquarius, and, man. The age of the, and, and we're going to be better and we're progressing and the 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 possible suggestion that Nietzsche offers which is a very very interesting one is that we are not in any instinct progressing we're just evolving no we're, we're, we're decaying actually in a lot of it we, we might we yeah. might not be evolving in a good direction at all and to give you an example of this again like this stuff is like studied and I'd love to find you the books I can't remember the exact one at the moment but um, for example they looked at the brain hemispheres 
of primitive people who are pre-linguistic, who don't read, who have been not, not been book cooked. All right. And they find out that the Europeans, especially because we've been book cooked by the magic book, by the Bible for so long. And we are, are actually way more left hemispheric. And specifically with the printing revolution and all that, we've gotten extremely stuck in the left hemisphere. Our broker's areas are fat and juicy. Our Wernick areas are fat and juicy. We have all sorts of weird adaptions to do that, that adapt us to be able to like move our eyes really, really quickly. The same way as our jaws are all smaller because we're eating fucking soy and wheat and grain and breads and all that. Whereas you go to these natives. And seed oils. And seed oils, but they have these big, fat, chunky jaws. And their their two hemispheres talk an awful lot more. They're more connected in so, in many many different ways. And their brains are different. Their brains are older. And it's almost like a snapshot. Perhaps I don't know. Perhaps it's a snapshot of what you were seeing in the ancient Greek world. Now, of course, um, Julian James, who proposes these ideas, and again, like there's you can look up Julian James's blog, and he runs through all the evidence in this. There's also his suggestion about what happens in the Bible, because for example, one of the latest books written in in the Old Testament was Ecclesiastics. Whereas if you look at the start of the Bible, what you're having is you know Yahweh being like do this kill the people from Jericho run around the city four times give them the walls of Jericho no, no, <laughs> and then destroy <laughs> destroy yield for me bow good give me the goat like all this type of stuff it's very very direct and it's blunt voice in the head type stuff and as uh, Daruma was saying earlier um, that we, they found in s- certain studies again like you know you know the science thing it's like alright some studies maybe there's other ones but anyway they found studies and you can check them out in Julian James's website where for example they'd study schizophrenics and they'd find that when they hear voices in their head the right hemisphere Broca's area turns on that's usually quiet for most people but for these people it switches on and so there's this proposition that that's the voice in the head that people heard back in the day then when Achilles heard Athena be like yo Achilles don't kill Agamemnon and we'll get way more bitches later like when that was sort of coming into his mind that was him hearing something quite crazy the same then of course with with the Bible it's like that's sort of where Yahweh's voice was coming from and then Ecclesiastics is like this brooding and modernist writing being like the world is shit man pleasure doesn't take you anywhere you've just got to kind of bow and it actually looks like the beginning of consciousness where's where julian james gets his proposition from the origins and histories of consciousness and the breakdown of the bicameral mind the snapping apart and of course again there's even more evidence for this as well because we find out that in the the thing that connects the two brains the um corpus callosum is designed to turn the two brains it's designed to inhibit each of the brains so it keeps them separate animals have smaller corpus callosums than we do humans especially us moderns have the biggest corpus callosums we inhibit our brains the most we separate the most in this type of stuff mm. so it's a super interesting thing now look you can dismiss all the right hemisphere stuff and left hemisphere stuff. i know i'm like a fucking drone when it comes to that so you can throw it out if you want but i think it actually opens up a very interesting conversation in terms of nietzsche and Jung about this dichotomy between these two types of minds where if you want to say right hemisphere left hemisphere we can say that but you could also say reason and imagination if you want it's just it's like i don't know fractal layers of these sort of concepts and, that and, and, and nietzsche also had a particular disdain for like saul um well saint paul's version of christianity but that could have just been his you know protestant lutheranism talking but that's that's just me um but have you i this is coming up in the chat and i, I do wanted to get to art history um maybe uh certainly other people in this chat right now could talk to it but have you uh read bronze age mindset i have yeah i have okay I have there you that. go 
There we go. Possibly, yeah, I've read him. Yeah, he's funny. And, and we also have Zero HP Lovecraft in the chat. I don't know if yes, you've we do. Read, have you read his short stories? Who do you know about ZHP? Or, uh... I'm afraid I do not. I'm afraid, afraid oh, I do not. You have to. Oh, oh you have to. So, look up Zero could, HP Lovecraft. Provide me up... a link, or if he's on Amazon, I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll drop a few yeah. dollar for him. Um, love, if you could link God Shaped yes. Hole in the Yeah, that's his. Uh... But so um, I wanted to talk about there's a few interesting comments if. if uh, I'll just talk about this because it does relate to Nietzsche. Um, someone wrote, I believe, uh, let me find it. <laughs> the Irish, <laughs> they have no control over anything. The Irish. Um, <laughs> um, this is uh, what happens when I come to try talk. It's just yeah, I know. <laughs> um, oh, and we also have a question from Zero HP. Speaking of Zero HP, yeah, go ahead, Uber, Uber Boyo, do you think that people who have their corpus callosum severed to prevent seizures end up with a split self trapped in one hemisphere of their brain yeah. that observes but does not act? That's, that's, um, that's what you see. That was the video I wanted you to watch. The video is, it's so, like, dude, it's so naked to see it. So a dude who has epilepsy, he has his corpus callosum cut, and they sit him down in front of a fucking computer, and they, like, flash up two words, and they're like, write the word, and he always writes the word the left hemisphere sees, and then they give the pen to his left hand, which is the right hemisphere's land, and he writes the word that the right hemisphere would see. So there's something in there that sees the other word, but he doesn't see it. They ask him questions like, did you see another word? And he's like, no, no, I didn't see anything. It was just this one word. So there is, there is, like, this is very easily observable. You can look up videos on YouTube and see this stuff. I don't know what it means. I don't know how far, I might be going too far with it. But, but does he think that word? If they were asking him, can you tell us what is going on in your brain? Like, can you think that word? Can you tell us what that word is? So this, this, this stuff is absolutely nuts. Like, you're, he's able to, they're able to flash, I think, an image. Oh, God, I can't remember what it is. I, you'd have to see the video, but it's pretty cool. So they flash an image into his, uh, into his, into his, his uh, right hemisphere and then they ask his him him what do you see and he'll be like i didn't see anything i didn't see anything and there's like you definitely saw no i didn't see anything at all and then they give a pen to his left hemisphere and he'll write down the name of the image that he saw they'll give a pen sorry to his left hand so his right hemisphere can see stuff and his left hemisphere can be like i didn't see anything and then his right hemisphere can write down the name the thing that it saw it's fucking insane wow. and so so wanted... well, well that's kind of like coming up with ideas in general i find that when i draw certain things i don't think about them they just come out you know what i mean and how yeah. far is that to say like where those originated from it's not like i even thought them or considered them they just come and i write them down and we have a we have a comment from ai russian bot 69 for 569 <laughs> us dollars nice I like Uber Boyo vids. Can't watch right now, but I'll listen later at work. You betcha. And guys, just so you know, subscribe to our audio RSS Sneed and Feed. Here is the link <laughs> that you have to go to. Go to breaktherules.captivate.fm. That's the uh, mothership link. Then we'll you have show to go to Patreon later. We'll work, but, yeah, but... Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Anyway, go for it, Gio. No, but I wanted about what you said, love, about the dreams and about how. I mean, me as an artist as well, the, sometimes the ideas just come out of nowhere. But this uh, is a comment. But well, before that, we have two comments, one by Astral Flight, which is romanticism wasn't childlike innocence, but it was the attempt to get at childlike innocence. So you can have this with, um, you know, painters in the Rococo period, which is not my favorite period, obviously. Um, but uh, that and another comment. Uh, so basically, when you look at art history, and, and Nietzsche kind of foresaw this as well near the end. Uh, when you, the transition to artistic modernism from Romanticism, you have still this need in painters like Gauguin and even in the German Expressionists like Gross and so forth, 
who were consciously aware of these more ancient traditions and were trying to sort of escape the modern world that was becoming mechanized and terrifying through that sort of like these pseudo mystical pursuits. And a lot of them, a lot of modern artists were also Rosicrucians from Halema Klim to even in America with uh, Rothko and so forth. Um, but this comment by monetizing leftism says that this is very similar uh, waffle to what uh, Yeats, so his book of vision, Crowley and other desperate mystic ejets were talking in similar area of political instability and capitalist empire collapsing. So, and you could see this was sort of, especially the German expressionists and, and young as well. He had a vast, uh, you know, a majority of a lot of his visions in the red book comes from like the, um, pre-war and intra-war periods so do you think that these sort of upsurges happen at times of great collapse or at great mm. calamity or and do you see this sort of similar experience happening nowadays as as sort of this like last man late capitalist individual um how shall i put it whatever you want to call it npc small soul bug man reality that we live in uh do, oh. do you, and, 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 and real you quick and real quick uber boyo w uh, did a video where he talked about how young yeah. predicted world war one yeah. and uh, world yeah. war two so what else did he predict then like uh in the same vein well, i'm curious about now Aquarius as well before the new age people that was another well, I can. I, I know. I talk about all of this. Like, I'd love to talk about all of this. We'll just, we'll just have to sort of sequence it a little bit because it takes a little bit of fleshing out. Like, Jung, I think some of Jung's most interesting predictions is uh, about artificial intelligence and whatnot. I think that's fascinating stuff. Um, now, I, I would love to uh, ask Geo, like, the the question. Um, if am I understanding it in a pointed way? Are you are you trying to get me to to uh, what 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 like stretch out art history in some type of sense? Could you well, sort no, of? I guess. I guess when it comes to a, a lot of the Nietzschean and Jungian approaches to art history, do, do you see that a lot of this sort of um, the mystifications and these provocations that come from what, what would you want to call it? The collective unconscious. Do you think that that has something to do with the realm of calamity and chaos and decay around us? For example, Jung and the undiscovered self very much, he, specifically says this and do you think that there's anything to do like would you extrapolate this to our own time do you sort of see these same oh, yeah. phenomenons coming up now the, the reason why i like this uh, <laughs> the reason why i like this theory the reason why i'm like standing so firmly i'm banging on about the two hemispheres so much is because it, it places this not in some type of esoteric past and it's not in some type of intellectual sphere where it's like all oh, the ideas were organizing themselves above us it's placing it in a very very firm and even reductionist maybe even unromantic people don't like it for this reason because it's maybe too materialistic but it places us in a firm neurological reality it's suggesting that the faculties would in our mind have influences on the the culture that we produce directly what julian james is saying is that if you read the, the fucking bible at the start of it you'll have voice in the head mode yahweh walking everybody around like robots and they can with a clear conscience kill all the people in jericho and kill all the people in canaan and just like genocide them and it's no problem but then towards the end it becomes a lot more um conscious there's a shift and maybe maybe there's a, neuro a neurological shift now what that means i don't know but what we can do is we can actually study this stuff and look at it right now and we see some absolutely 
um, very, very interesting experiences with people looking at, for example, having strokes and you see someone who has a stroke with the right hemisphere, the right hemisphere gets damaged and you look at the type of art that they produce and the art that they produce, it tends to be really, really bad at having perspective. It doesn't tend to be holistic. It tends to be abstract. It tends to take a lot of the forms of what we commonly associate with modern art. Actually, you, you go through Twitter and you look through those um you look through those those accounts that are like Western traditional art and all that type of stuff and classical buildings and all that mm-hmm. type of stuff. And the, what they tend to do is they post the, the modern art and the modern art just looks like some type of alien blob that just shows up in the middle of a city or something like this. This big gray, like, this, I don't know, this big gray wart in the middle of society or something. And, there, like and there's a reason for this. Well, uh, I'm very controversial when it comes to my art takes when it comes to the modern art, but... Uh, well, Kroners? What is that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Uber we, we've had Satanism streams before on Breakthroughs. What, what is nice. your take on, uh, yeah. Well, well again, like I, I, I am such a drone for this, but I, I'm looking at these two faculties and because they're neurological realities, I'm sort of trying to create them like um, forces that operate throughout history including our history, including our current moment. And the the job of the left hemisphere is to abstract, make a territory, be mechanical. When we use tools, we use our right hands. When we use specific small things, we use our right hands. It is the mechanical system creating, business building, ordering, organizing force within our heads, but it's abstract. It's out of touch with reality. It doesn't focus on the specifics or the the details. It doesn't have like any touch or any feeling. It's like the dead terminator mind that organizes things in our head. It uses words, which are all abstractions. It understands words and it operates actually a little bit out of touch with reality. It's full of dopamine. It gets hyped up like Wolf of Wall Street and it's a little bit delusional and out of touch with that. And it can be prone to massive delusions for these type of reasons. It's one of the main faculties you see when people go schizophrenic. Now, the right hemisphere has this force of being very, uh, you could even say feminine in some sense. And I don't mean it like, because it's actually more wired for testosterone. So it's more manly in other ways as well. But nonetheless, it's got this ability to be, see the big picture it's holistic it's like the thing it's like the 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 coach that's watching the boxer it sees everything and it sees the big picture and it commands and it shouts and it orders it controls um arousal it controls focus it actually controls the frame that the left hemisphere pays attention to and all this type of stuff now these two forces are operating in the world now what what i start to see quite a lot is that I don't know like this this is way too reductionistic but you know you you sort of see that abstract um luciferian scientism that's shredding everything of all meaning and making everything a mechanical world all about organizing all about big tech's going to save us all all about that type of stuff that starts to look like left hemispheric consciousness obsessed with individualism let's let's all kind of get obsessed with this type of stuff it looks like that's after shearing out everything it's after breaking us away from god and it's bringing us down into pandemonium which is sort of what we live in right now it's similar to how in paradise lost um what's his name uh, your man who wrote it he said uh watch it like milton milton that that dude that lad and milton said that uh you know satan says that he's the the intellect he is the dazzling dancing interesting hyped up intellect and he brings everybody down and like you know uh, you know what he says it's better to reign in hell than serve in heaven whereas the right hemisphere is almost like the choir master god and god the the coach it's trying to see the big picture now i'm not saying it is god but it has this sort of style of perception to it it's this different way of operating and when I look through stuff like art history, I'm actually trying to detect these type of things. I'm sort of seeing 
seeing the conflict of this go where in the 19th century, we had a great marriage of these two forces, where, for example, the, the reason and the faculty of imagination and big picture thinking, which was attached to God, was together and you get romantic music that's very holistic. You look at paintings from the 19th century and they're profound, they're really well put together, really articulate, really big picture. They've got really a huge presence, a huge power to them. But then as we switch into modernity, we switch into machines, mechanized life and all that, individualism, atomized... Ma machina, as you uh, phrased it, yeah. that you uh, discovered. Absolutely. A lot of yeah, social yeah. realists have paintings where man literally becomes machine. Yes, and, yes. Yeah. So logical positivism, that's the real Satan. That's in, in some sense, yeah, I'm sort of suggesting that. And I know it's it's like it's I, I don't I don't actually like how reductionist it is, but I, I try to kind of discipline myself to that, that foundation. I do like how reductionist that is. Well, it, it was like Heidegger when he controversially said that um, when you look at industrial farming, um, you could see like the basically like the smokestacks of uh, Auschwitz. And he meant that in that the same mechanical process of um, in framing of nature itself that leads to viewing all life as just in framing yeah. as just a, a mechanical process to explore i mean well, that's today, like what, what do you do when you have a responsibility because like i was saying earlier well, about how we have that neil degrasse tyson tweet that oh of, uh, and then we that, have the stakeham uh, person defending um, think of all the animals that die at the hands of the stakeham company think of all the stakeham no, no, but he was he was counteracting uh Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's yeah, but that's all. But that's all a LARP. They know that they're oh, going yeah, to get obviously. some traction that way. The... I'm looking more at all the poor animals that are dying at the hands of these big uh, uh, well, food well, companies. No, the point. The point being is like he's he's saying this thing about believe uh, science, whether you believe it in it or not, or something yeah. like that. And then now a, another corporate brand comes exactly. in and conveys this sort of remystification through questioning the very basis of science as an epistemology which is like literally like some grad student that they hired to run the account is <laughs> well look like after after world war one the way that uh, we uh, treated the nazis except for like the head german scientists for nasa no, yeah world war ii thank you was a uh, different than the way that we treated the japanese in the way like we let the japanese or europe let the japanese off easier and i think it does have to do with let's say the japanese being you know not a young not not an old not a young culture but a culture that still did not come to the same, let's say, agreement that a lot of these other cultures did of what is acceptable or not. And I think that's also kind of a part of growing up, if you will, where when you grow up to a certain extent, you consciously start doing things, then that would be considered evil in a way, where you consciously, systematically start to create these factory farms or bring people into death camps or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, that is consciously done. It's not like you're in this uh, Bronze Age mindset of just being in this dream state, not people out with your sword you know no, it's, it's very clinical form of brutality that's led yeah and that's the big difference here where i can see this process as obviously messing people up uh but when it comes to machina what you were talking about earlier uh in a, in a, your video, this was an entity that you ended up seeing, and then a friend of yours even sketched out very close to what this machine entity looked like, but then inside of her, I mean, I don't know if I should spoil it for the people who did not see the video, but inside of her, there was like a little girl who was, uh, you know, just completely damaged and just completely ruined, and uh, what, what do you see in that analogy, that there's like this little girl or little child inside of this monstrous machine-like entity? 
Well, it's, that's a whole huge uh, story. Like we can dive into that if we wish, but it's a, it's a like that'll that'll be me ranting for another twenty minutes if you want me to paint that sort of picture. And um, you could understand it if you want to understand it, this concept because that was me doing the dream reading thing for a long time, and it's it's pretty amazing how that played out. Like I I do I do look at that as being like that was fucking weird. All right, I'll give I'll give it that. That's like sort of a couple of levels beyond the my pay grade. I don't know what's going on there. That's pretty amazing. But machina or machines, if you want to think about it this way, or the mechanized um, part of our reality is um, like again um, it's, there's this idea of you know the kind of satanic within you which is the operant or organized um, part of yourself and I, I think actually Paradise Lost and even Lord of the Rings there's a there's a religious text for you and um, the the Paradise Lost and Lord of the Rings the way they they paint Lucifer in in there is the suggestion and this is a very very important idea the suggestion is not that Satan is evil or bad or separate the suggestion is that Satan is like the prodigal son God is the owner of the choir and Satan or Lucifer is the most talented singer or most talented soloist in the choir. He's the organizer to like the left hemisphere and he breaks free from the choir and rebels against the whole picture. Whereas the right hemisphere comprehends the whole picture and has the humility know where this sort of entity fits and so as i was saying in the 19th century you have these um two forces together that are very powerful rationalism and operantism but then of course it's embedded within the pr the prison of god the prison of um the prism i should say of god and of christianity and all that type of stuff and the dream that that holds it's almost like a, a coherent mind if you so know what i mean you've got this sort of dreaming mind and the mythopoetic that's grounded very much there and then this and out of that culture comes all the stuff that we look at those western traditional twitter it all comes from that culture. It all comes from that synchronization of these two forces. Now, what happens is the death of the dream, the death of God, we lose touch of that. And what happens is it literally looks like Satan, Lucifer, jumps on the around about the beginning of the 20th century and spirals down literally into pandemonium, bringing us into organized super capitalism. Marx rises up as a consequence of this, completely correctly diagnoses the problem with this, the mechanizations of our lives. And we need to sort of, sort of come up with some solution to these types things hitler pops up and sees the exact same thing as well you read through hitler talking all the time about we need to do workers rights this is why it was national socialist workers party or something like this they're all working about like what, what do we do about these giant mechanized societies what do we do about this organization we're all heidegger talks about technology and the the crunching of our individualities now look at our modern day everybody atomized individuals everything is everything is like um it's almost like an exchange thing. It's almost like commerce. Tinder has taken over the sexual market. You've got like they, they call it sex work now. At least prostitution sounds better. I think I don't know. User mentioned in food as well. Like food is probably the best place to see it because yeah. you go around and it's like your food is now so completely compartmentalized into organized abstractions that you go into the shop and food to you is like a a dye colored red lump of protein put in in like a plastic box that looks the same as all the other plastic boxes and then you go and you eat that and you eat that to hit your macros you don't eat that because you like it you don't eat that because you know the cow you don't know the cow at all that came from some type of crazy hidden mechanical factory of terror off in the distance of some place that you don't really know and it is it's an absolutely <laughs> it's an absolutely amazing thing to, to do, do you see the handle by the way this is to open the soylent <laughs> that's the nice nice that's the stuff well like i think what's so fascinating about that is that uh when you talk about makina for example um 
I, maybe I was hitting on that understanding in a very unconscious way. And that was showing me something. And, um, and you look at the, the modern world and this is often what is, is, well, this is what you see so much that all of us were, were suffering more than we ever were the mental health crisis. You've heard about all that stuff before. There's more pain than there ever was now. And a consequence of it is this sort of mechanical life that we live, this mechanized abstract in our heads, neurotic, stuck in heads. And I work literally in the field of psychology. I see it all the time. People stuck in their noggins, people mentally trapped within the prisons of their egos, churning through all this jargon and these concepts that they pick off of the, off the internet and books, completely severed from the touch of their bodies and in awful stress and problems for these type of reasons. And it's like really, really difficult for people to um, break free from that. It's like we're stuck or like we're entranced by Lucifer. It literally looks like something like that. And everybody finally, to add the conclusion to this, the way I, the only religious belief I see really nowadays that's in any way serious is the tech guys saying that we're going to build a machine that we're all going to upload our fucking consciousness into and live as pure information together in a giant abstract machine which is free from the suffering of biology and life and it, it looks like that's lucifer saying hey bro i'll i'll let you out here's here's pandemonium come on up in type of fear yeah um, well, this so, is actually what it looks like this is what so, satanism looks like <laughs> so steph so the, i guess the question is like so how do we get out of it and i'm curious <laughs> about something specific so zero hp was doing the the psychedelic skepticism in the chat a little bit ago and I'm curious because you said you were a big psychonaut for a long time and then you got into the dream, the dream journaling. And I see like those both as being ways to open up the imagistic faculty again. And I wonder, I'm personally a little bit of a skeptic. Like I feel like a lot of people take psychedelics when, when it's like, wait, you're excited about seeing a, like a, like a duck in your living room. Why not just have a dream? And then you see the whole, the whole shebang. But what do you think is better? The dream excavation well, or the psychedelics i'm going to kind of flip this in the head a little bit because the, the question you asked me first is actually yeah, i yeah. think far more, far more interesting which is the idea All of right. what the fuck do we do about techno satan coming to rape our souls <laughs> okay. and take us up into the astral plane which turns out to be a lie and plug us into an eternal hell um, uh, of salvation um and this is where i think nietzsche starts to become extremely relevant because nietzsche i see is the only person who came up with a, a tangible solution to this i think he's the only person who, who tangibly got diagnosed the problem properly over young i even think i don't think young was was even on the mark if you wish um i i don't know this is this is a very very interesting question because nietzsche saw this stuff happening and he was suggesting directly that this spiraling into this crazy way of thinking this abstraction um would would shear us of all meaning this is what he meant by the force the blunt force of nihilism it this I, and i don't think he identified it in the way that i am like i i add in this left hemisphere stuff to maybe give it more color but he's sort of generally vaguely right on principle that this shearing of this nihilism will kill god and you you don't want it to be true and you want to go back to tradition and Jordan Peterson will come and say, guys, we just need to actually go back to God and it won't work. And we'll, we're going to have to keep going forward and understand that the only way out of this thing is through this thing and understanding that this sort of strange force, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's almost like it has to be unleashed and it has to be disciplined. Now, this is when the problem starts to become very, very serious because Nietzsche was not talking about a we as in like all of humanity are going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. He sort of saw that there's going to have to be a, a group of people who, who understand 
understand and correctly diagnose the problem and see what's going on and actually begin to plan and project themselves towards saying, all right, well, how do you, how do you, how do you twist this situation so that we actually go towards uh, the good and the, the true and the, the, you could say the unification of these two forces so we create a healthy society and a strong society and all this type of stuff. This is his principle. He saw it in education as a hundred well-placed men would steer the education system because he was looking at the Prussian education system and seeing the organizational n nonsense that was kind of showing up at that period of time and all these type of things. And um, so for that reason, Nietzsche was looking at things like the Ubermensch. He was looking at things like the Overman. He was looking at things like, and probably his most important concept, the philosophers of the future and the, the idea of these 100 well-placed men. He was looking at all these people and, and the people who would build institutions that would be sort of separate from all modern institutions that would begin to be aware of these problems and begin to adapt to these problems. He was looking at these as solutions and the people who operate within these solutions would begin to use all these tools for various goals in order to figure out how to deal with this type of problem. Now, this is super abstract, I know, because I don't really know what it's supposed to look like or where it's going, but I think I see what Nietzsche was saying and what he was sort of suggesting is that there's no ideology that's going to fix this. There's no, you know, it's it's more about people getting together with level heads in themselves and just correctly recognizing what the problem is and beginning to figure out how to use their minds and use their awareness of reality and use these faculties, maybe use psychedelics, like if psychedelics work for a specific mm. job, like blowing open your mind, take them then, right? If you need that, but dreams can also work as well. So why not do them? Why well, also, we... also breathing techniques. Like I found that with psychedelics, it brought me to a certain level that then I was able to get very close to and still getting like day by day inching my way up to the same level that I got with mushrooms just by doing the breathing techniques. You know, breathe in 30 times really deeply, then stop breathing, and eventually I think everybody would start to get that kundalini or other things uh, related to all these various psychic processes. And the thing is, like, I really do think this is a birthright of humanity. I think that if these are things that are inherent inside of us, there is no reason for us not to start developing them. But I could also see, for example, uh, I don't know, like, if people misuse them, but then again, I will also find that the more that I do it, the more, let's say, kindly I feel towards people, the more that I start to feel that, you know, there's no reason to get upset or angry at situations that aren't worth it. You know, I kind of catch myself, start seeing myself from a distance in a way, like, what are you doing, Lev, whenever, you know, you're acting a fool? So I think that people could start doing this. I'm not a big fan of a lot of these false gurus, these fake gurus that go around and get a lot of people around them and become a cult. I mean, maybe I kind of want that too, to be honest with you. But uh, I don't know, like... I don't think that all of us are going to make it. I think maybe like you have sperm, for example, you have millions and billions, I remember how many sperm that go in and only like one sperm ends up going into the egg, right? I don't think it's only going to be one person like the one Ubermensch that's going to be left, that's going to le uh, be left standing. But right now, I just don't know if we can trust a governmental entity, if we can trust any of these big powers to guide humanity in the right direction, I think they're amateurs. I think they're not doing that good of a job as it is. So it may be smaller scale projects. It may be smaller scale communities that can start developing a little bit of wisdom, but it's not really going to be something that, I mean, just look at Twitter right now. People are grabbing onto as many identities as they can in order to find justification for living, but most of these identities aren't really talking about what they could actually bring to the table. It's more about I am bi or I am, you know, hashtag uh, BLM or I, you know what I mean? Like it's all of these outside things that have little to do with any experience somebody would have if they were struggling against some kind of a pressure. 
there is not that same kind of pressure anymore like you were talking about the Bronze Age. Why did people live that way? Because if they didn't, then they die. So we don't really have that anymore if we have a lot of these creature comforts. What's going to happen to most people? I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of concerned about that too. But at the end of the day, do you think it is possible to uh, save everyone or most people? Or do you think it is going to be just like this small enclave of people? Maybe us. Maybe we're talking here and we're going to be setting up things to uh, go in that direction. But uh, what do you I think? think? I think one, I'll just jump in. I think one thing about this that's really, really obvious to me is that if everything's fucked up, uh, you have to, like, one of the things about the Uber mensch or whatever, you have to start with just a couple people anyway. There's no way, like, if you can't, if you can't fix with your fucking homies, then you can't fix it for society. So you got to get your, your, your gang together and do that. And the other thing too, is that like, like all this shit you're talking about, Lev, is literally everywhere. Like it's, a, it's almost impossible to find somewhere where this hasn't gotten into, except for one thing, which is the gang. You can have your fucking gang of people. And you can literally do whatever you want. So, so any, I think that that's what it is. I think it's like you have to try to, 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 to invent the, the new way amongst a small amount of people. And you, like, sacrifice yourself to that process. And then if you can create it, good, you know. And BTR, I think, is awesome like that. I think it's, it's, just, it's just that kind of thing. Man. Thank you. And, and once again, subscribe. All the people who are watching this and not subscribing, what are you doing? And also, before Uber Boyo uh, is going to say something that's going to be incredibly brilliant, I just want to quickly say I'm going to be posting links to the other platforms where we are at. Make sure to go to those platforms, just subscribe, because it has the same stream that's going on here, but just subscribe to those platforms, you know, Twitch, uh, DLive. Anyway, go for it, my friend. Sweet. Well, this is where we actually get into like Nietzsche properly. I'd love to hear because I see Mr. Thad and he often is talking about Nietzsche on his timeline. So I'd love to hear some of his thoughts on this stuff as well. Um, I don't know. Does he do you have any right now, sir? Or do you want me to bounce on? I can actually go on a tirade because I've like what you basically brought up, Lev, was the last man. So I just going to leave the, the, the dead silence there for a second. If there's any thoughts or I'll fire upon. He might be off somewhere. Who knows? Yeah. Sorry. Um, I'm in yes. kind of an un unstable, unstable environment, but um. Did any, is, is anybody else here listening to BAP's podcast? Oh, yeah. Caribbean Rhythms. So yes. this most recent topic, um, or maybe a couple topics ago, is the underpinning of the various readings and perhaps misreadings of Nietzsche. Specifically, um, the one that actually I experienced first, which was being an undergraduate philosophy student. Uh, I did not complete the philosophy degree. We are going to get him back. Subscribe. The okay, here we go into Nietzsche in a way that is um, essentially you read the genealogy of morals in a way where it underpins like leftist cultural critique very easily be co-opted into that kind of philosophical and one of the things that I'm most interested in is for one the popularization of Nietzsche um, and I think people like Jordan Peterson have done a great job to that end but also, that's why I asked you originally why Zarathustra entry did a reread of. Um, I'm trying. To... Oh man, this uh, uh, Thad. Just so you know, your audio keeps going in and out. I don't know if you can go into a place where there's going to be better reception, or if it's kind of like a hit or miss situation right now. But let me know if you can go somewhere where there is better reception. Please do so. Gotcha, man. Yeah, I uh, just turned off my Wi-Fi. I believe that was the problem. Oh, there we go. Yes, I can. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so what I'm trying to figure out, and this is um, remarking less on the substance of the work, but more 
in the angle of approach for this type of material. I'm trying to get as many people to read Nietzsche as possible, and I consider threading on something like Twitter as a way to pique interest. And, um, you know, actually, I'm interested in going through a lot of Uber Boyo's material because I, I don't expound at great length, although I've written significantly on it in an academic setting. Um, but yeah, what is the proper angle of approach? Because I, Uber Boyo, I appreciate your, uh, your story there about the heroic dose of LSD and then trying to approach the great works of Jung and Nietzsche. Um, do you have a prescribed path of entry into this material for most people? Um, because obviously there are, there are hooks out there. I would imagine something like Jordan Peterson or maybe some of your videos or just finding a thread or reading BAP can pique someone's interest. And I um, am most, most interested in administering this to people at large. And at the end of the day, I think, Lev, to answer your question, um, I, I, I want everybody to make it. I'm not confident that everybody's going to make it. Um, at the end of the day, it's going to be a self-selected group of people who are either exposed to the information in time or come to it naturally, which is possible without the books. Um, but that can't be all the all, the, the royal we. Um, so, yeah. Few thoughts. And, the, and just real quick, I wanted to give a shout out to Arate Kid. Arate Kid was the person responsible for you actually being here on the show. He was he was one of the first people who uh, demanded outright demanded we must get Uber Boyo on BTR. So I want to give much respect to Arate Kid if you're listening right now. Tell him, tell him to give me. Maybe he's messaged me on Twitter or something. Tell him, tell him, to give me a shout and I'll say hello. Thank you very much, sir, for. I am suggesting I pop on. These are a very interesting group of lads. So thank you very much. Um, to to so so to answer to 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 to, to talk about everything there because there's so many things that came up there. I would really like to kind of pull the brakes a little bit and talk about all this type of stuff because this is it. This is the really 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 big deal. Um, in terms of how do you get this stuff. To, to the people? How do you get this stuff to your people? How do you get this stuff to yourself? What the hell is, is, is Nietzsche even talking about? What is the prescriptive, the prescriptive um, set of steps you're supposed to take? So first of all, the foundational principle that Nietzsche says in Twilight of the Idols is he says the body must be persuaded first. It begins there. Now this is, and I've actually like, I do this, this is a professional thing I do with people. I actually work with people in this regard. People come in, they come in from the sort of vague field of psychology. I also work with them in communication and all this type of stuff. I often come across people struggling with modernity and their problem is foundationally, I've seen this, this is real. They're stuck in their noggins. As I said already, they're stuck in their heads. They're struggling with being in the abstract conceptualizing mind. I propose it is the left hemisphere, but I don't want to go too crazy about that. Nonetheless, it doesn't matter what I think it is or what I abstractly represented it as. It's very, very easy to see someone stuck in their heads, completely unconscious of their felt experience, unconscious of their emotions, living in abstractions, living in jargons living in youtube videos like my own or all the ones that they pick up and living in books and all this type of stuff now fundamentally you think about what your body is and where your emotions happen think about it your emotions don't happen in your head your emotions don't you know spark out of your brain they happen in your heart they happen in your balls they happen in your belly they happen in your chest they happen in that kind of heaving if you will and you notice this quite distinctly that when someone has an emotional experience it's often followed by a very very strong embodied experience this is a really really big deal so the huge first step that i spend most of my time doing with people is bringing people back into awareness and consciousness of the body actually getting them back into this type of stuff this does a huge amount of help then often from that point you can actually kind of point it's like bro you're 
not depressed. You're eating fucking shit food and your body's constantly inflamed. All those feelings that you have, try eat it, try kefir, try steak, try these type of things and watch the difference that it kind of has. This stuff is really boring. It's really unromantic. It's not talking about archetypes and fancy stuff like this. But the problem is, is that this fucking works. This actually gets the change and the difference. Getting someone in the gym is going to save them more than teaching them anything about all this type of stuff. Now, Nietzsche was hard on this. Nietzsche was very serious that the body must be persuaded. If you want to create a great people and a great culture, it needs to be embodied. It needs to be instinctive. It needs to be in the felt experience of the body. It can't be an intellectual thing first. That will fail. Intellectual stuff should serve this, not the other way around. The instincts should come out and be celebrated with the intellect through the divination of the passions, through making the passions divine. But of course, that is not what is achieved. So the foundational first principle is to get people to do this. The sort of answer Thad or suggest something for Thad is that um, in some sense, your way of introducing people to Nietzscheanism, yes, he's got some amazing things to think about, but I don't, I, like, it's almost like when you're treating a, a baby birds and you're like the mummy bird, you want to chew a lot of this stuff up and maybe just telling people to fucking go to the gym, eat cleaner and um, get out of their head a little bit and get more into the sunlight. Like that's doing a fuckload of the work. Like that's really kind of getting people in the right place. If their instincts and their, and their chemistry and you know that their testosterone are up, their hormones are in good shape. They're going to be more Nietzschean than anybody who goes into academia and reads a fuckload of, of Nietzsche and is a little scrawny little wimp in, in that type of sense. Like it's really, really important to understand these 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 first principles. Now it's a difficult thing because it's it involves actually disciplining people and getting people serious down to this type of stuff and getting the heads on straight. Now the reason why I say this is all relevant on a philosophical sense, like I'm, I'm trying not to come in here like grug and be like, you just got to lift weights, bro, or something like that, because it's not that simple either. But um, but you should. Well, you should most certainly. <laughs> Um, a, a really important thing to understand is that uh, Nietzsche's worry, Nietzsche was suggesting that this organizational um, left hemispheric Luciferian force that's going to take the population through the power of the institutions and churn out generations of youth through the schooling systems that are going to be brainwashed NPCs. It's going to completely detach them out of the body because all of our intellectualizations are based off Socrates and Plato, which is idealism, which is not connected with the body, which is going to make us abstract people and not people who live in our felt experience. This is going to create a type of person who's got this whole obsession with Christian um, happiness and all this type of stuff. And I don't mean this is a slander to Christians, but that sort of maybe you could say simplistic view of the world where everything is nice and it's all about being nice and happy and all this type of stuff. All these forces were going to combine together and create what he called someone who is not in their body, someone who's completely stuck in their noggin, someone who's obsessed with books because they've been book cooked for 2000 years, someone who's completely chemically uh, unaware, instinctively completely detached from their instincts and stuck in the realm of, you could say, scientific abstraction or just abstract thinking completely left hemisphericism as i'd say this is the people i see when i talk to them and this is the last man this is the man that will claim the universe claim the earth and destroy it like a, 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 to add to that <laughs> just people who are entirely taken in by the pretense of both the christian morality and the academic world of the mind in which they're living so it's both detached from the real world morally and it's detached in terms of as you were saying boyo the in, in living entirely in the world of the mind, which, mm -hmm. I mean, Nietzsche talks at length about how that's a problem, but it's, it's something that um, the broader problem about studying it is it takes a great deal of cultural context to read Nietzsche. And yeah. I had this experience because I tried to walk some friends through this book group, book group that I did um, reading Beyond Good and Evil. And the truth is, like, if my profile is dedicated to maybe, like, getting people to read history, Nietzsche, and do jujitsu, 
if I could only have one, jujitsu is kind of fitness broader, fitness, get in the gym, whatever. Uh, if I could only have somebody do one, it is the training um, because it's a more realistic and less implicit lesson than the other routes like reading Nietzsche and similar material, which takes like, honestly, takes years of cultural conditioning and education to really understand, um, which sounds incredibly pretentious, but he, he, he's writing to the Western canon. So you have to know the Western canon. Sorry to interject there. No, no, it's, it's great. And it's, it's an important. Oh, go ahead, sir. It, well, it's just it, like even what Thad is saying is such an important um, description of, of what you can understand this as in a very simple way. The Greek version of education was you teach the person intellect, music and physique. They, all these things were involved. And this is just a far more holistic and smarter way of doing things. And it's actually so simple on its principle. It would probably be like if you could get a generation of the youth and do that comprehensively with them, you could train their intellects in context with a physical training and an artistic and musical training properly. You you would probably you would probably do a pretty decent dent. Techno Satan would be limping after that one. Let's put it that way. Um, but of course, that would involve you being able to seize the institutional power that rules the world now. And you like none of us are anywhere near that. And this is where the realism comes in: is that these things are far away from our hands. They are in a very very dire position. There's a look look at the state of the world like right now. You know, like the way institutional power is getting wielded is not towards these ends. Instead, it's toward rewarding the last man with its wants and actually allowing. The, the festering rot to uh, to experience the life as, as it so wishes and just kind of get out of the way as we go live our breakaway uh, life and our new civilization and all this type of stuff. Well, uh, this brings us to a comment that was uh, given to us by Astral Flight for three ninety nine USD, and the Astral Flight is very interested in uh, Philip K. Dick and what your thoughts are on Philip K. Dick, and I think it relates to a lot of this technocracy stuff that we're talking about here. Uh, I think he may have had some prediction powers, and also... Titty Don sent us a ninja... Ninjani? How do you even say this? So on D Live they have lemons and they have ninjani. So one ninjani equals, let's see how much of that is going to be. One ninjani. And once again, everybody listening, subscribe, subscribe, and subscribe. That is 1,000 lemons. Holy shit. 1,000 lemons. That's like, what, $15? That's amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Titty Don. Titty Don is like... No words, absolutely no words. But anyway, Uber Boyo, I'm curious what you think of uh, Philip K. Dick. Um, I don't, I don't have a strong opinion. I'm afraid he had some funny comments about the Irish, but uh, I don't know, I don't know much else about him. I'm afraid. I know, uh, I like, I, I think he, he writes well, and I, I, I is he, he's involved with the chaos, chaos magic scene, as far as I can understand. Um, but I, I don't know, I don't know a compromise. Well, I don't, I don't know enough. From from what, from what I understand, he talked about there being these alternative realities, like one where the Nazis won, another one where uh, Nixon had a third term, or you know, di- different things like that, and what the world looks. Like I don't know if there are these parallel realities, but I'm in the position so, of thinking that like locus well, exists. He, he had his that, like doubt of like active imagination as well. I mean, if you read uh, like like all his later books like Valus, but he had certain very weird, almost like quasi gnostic experiences that intuited certain things. Like um, he had a vision where his um, he had a he had a I think it was his firstborn child. Uh, had some medical problem that this dream told him about and he like begged the doctors to check his uh, newborn and then it turned out that it was the exact same thing that his dream told him about and so he had uh, Robert Crumb actually illustrated it's I think it's called um, the religious vision of Philip K. Dick where he had this almost epiphany where he 
he met Christ and so forth, whether, you know, but yeah, a lot of his, a lot, and a lot of his writings talk about things like uh, transhumanism and the foundation of cyberpunk and so forth. So I, I don't, I really don't know what to make of that stuff. I, I just really don't know because it's, it's so fascinating. Like I read through Jung and he's talking about the red book. It's like, yeah, at the entire, the entirety of central Europe between Russia and, and, you know, France filled up with blood and I could see all their dead bodies. And then like, mm-hmm. you know, a month, later world war one kicks off and you're like kind of well, what is going on there and i've had loads of experiences like this loads of experiences like this i i i think i i would i would warn and as you can speak of this in a, in a Jungian sense and related to this sort of thing we're talking about with nietzsche um when i look around i see that that in the collective there's a huge amount of obsession with that style of thinking you could say the re, the 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 very it's almost like there there's another world there's a simulation there's another reality there's somewhere else there's all this obsession with this um other way the ways that we can escape there's all this obsession where can we tunnel into the alternate reality and all that rick and morty style yeah. thinking or at least tunnel into agartha at least let's start there like there is yeah. this whole idea that there is an inner earth that there was operation high jump and admiral bird uh, got his ass kicked by the uh, nazis and Antarctica. I don't know where exactly I fall and whether this thing exists or not, but again, like I promised in the very beginning of the stream, we have to talk about the Antediluvians. We have to talk about the Atlanteans, Hyperboreans, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, I mean, you mentioned Graham Hancock too. For those who don't know, I'm the chair of the Art and Technology Committee at the National Arts Club in New York City in Gramercy Park, and we have had Mr. Hancock on multiple, like I think four times now, as a guest speaker. And he told me that he thinks that the Earth was buried multiple, multiple times. So, he's not only thinking about ancient civilizations existing, you know, with Atlantis, but even pre-Atlantis and before that and so on and so forth. Kind of like with uh, in the Hinduism and the um, uh, Bhagavad Gita, they have this uh, whole idea of like civilization existing for millions and millions of years. Why I again think that humans came first, because we are like, we are the thought form that has like arms and legs and can move around and can explore the environment in a very optimal way for the sake of, you know, exploration, not just for like eating and uh, killing and that's it. You know what I mean? Like we're slightly, a slight level above that. But uh, where do you really see uh, your, from your own personal perspective, a lot of these ancient civilizations, uh, a lot of these relics that they leave behind <laughs> talking about uh, the stars, some uh, this greater reality, which again, like the greater reality thing, I think it's, even though it's very important, it does seem kind of like a beating a dead horse, because we're all more or less on the side of, yes, there is like this greater whole that we are all a part of, man. It's like, okay, yes, we get that. But what about more of the things having to do with like, uh, Helios Logos? He's a very interesting guy who has a lot of very hot takes. One of those is that he believes the Atlanteans used organic matter as uh, to construct their buildings and their interiors, where it was all, like, organic, that's why it disappeared. I have no idea if that exists or not, but in general, what were some of the most interesting things that you have looked at regarding these ancient civilizations and what what may have come before that we lost? I, um, I've looked at quite a lot of it. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be such a... I, w- I want to go next, here. by the way. I want to go next. Okay, okay. First Uber, then yes. Boy, will go. <laughs> All right, sweet, sweet, sweet. Well, I'm going to be a bit of a niche NPC, and I'm going to like actually like you know fucking piss on the parade a little bit here. Okay. Um, I, I, one one dude I, I sort of like is uh, Jason Reza Giorgiani. I don't really like. Agree oh, of with course, everything. yeah, that's uh, 
He, he's good. Well, he's, he had some pretty sus takes recently, but that's... No, no, I completely oh, agree with him about the UFO thing, because he thinks that the Hebrews were following a pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire. I actually oh, think that's a UFO, that. and those crystals, that, and those crystals that the uh, rabbi, that the priests had, not the rabbis, but that the Jewish priests had, they lit up whenever they asked a question. I mean, come on, that's like intergalactic, that's like alien communication. And now we have the Israeli uh, guy talking about how there's this galactic federation and we're not ready for it because we don't even know what space is. But anyway, Uberboyo, sorry, I cut you off. So, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things related to this. Like, again, this is me just shooting from the hip. A lot of things about the world I don't know. I don't know what the fuck is underneath Ireland. I don't know what the fuck is. There's leprechauns and the gods <laughs> are burning underneath Ireland. I don't know what's up in space and any of that stuff. But I will talk to you again from psychological first principles. When someone gets traumatized and wounded, they have a propensity towards imagining. You could even say maybe the right hemisphere comes online and tries to pull them into the realm of chaos and map what's going on. And they begin to fantasize. The relationship between you and, and often pain or struggle or anguish is that you begin to fantasize and try to dream up creative solutions to your problems. It's a very, it's, it's very sad in some sense. When a kid gets hurt, that's what they'll start to do. They'll develop a, a crazy imagination. You'll often find um, kids who have really, really powerful artistic experiences or powers. They, they are often um, may, maybe have some trauma in the past and all these type of things. Well, I mean, uh, no, I'm good. I, I didn't have trauma. It's fine. Oh, good, good, good for you. Excellent, brother. Excellent. Now, um, uh, the the response towards powerlessness and and disempowerment is often to begin to romanticize and fantasize, and I see quite a lot of anguish in the world, if you want to put it this way. Maybe like certain circles and all this type of stuff. Modernity is out of our hands. We are not the center of the world anymore. What what happens? Like, like, think of the, the traditionalists. It's like we've lost the 19th century. I, I want to go back. I wish to return. I wish to return. I hate this world. I hate hate this modern luciferian blob world and all this type of stuff and there's all this propensity towards romanticizing and fantasizing it's escapism it's, it's trying to go back to the place that we can't go back to you can't go back to the 19th century you can't go back to the 18th century you can't go back to the middle ages if you went back to the middle ages you'd probably be hoping that you're in heaven instead anyway and it's the same thing <laughs> that's sort of happening you want to go to heaven or what you're starting to see now is like you know alternate realities people are sick people are unhappy these days we are full of inflammation we're full of toxins and all this type of stuff and it's all this escapism escape to the belief in like oh there was this magic atlantis all back in the day it probably was like i don't really know but you see that there's this huge obsession with building up this type of fantasizing and as i said the romantic trad stuff and then even going back to religious things and all that but it's very rare to see people get down and do cynical boring realism to sit down and sort of say well what's the actual uh, like plan that we're going to go towards actually getting these like very tangible boring goals done boring goals like how do we get in positions of instant institutional power so that we can educate the youth to be healthy so they're not depressed for the next generation and that would involve something like you know working in some type of shitty board institution and dealing with all the bullshit is like people talk shit so that you can get into a position where you say all right we're not just going to prescribe every single kid that comes through school ssris that would be a lot different than you know digging digging underneath my, my house in dublin and finding a gartha it's not as cool but yeah. it's actually the thing that's going to make a difference it's the real deal you know what i mean so um on a foundational level 
I would be very, very like careful or, or suspect or not, not sus- these, these are wrong words. I just, I feel that. I don't know why it is, but I have that instinct about that thing where it's like the, the project, the, the goal, the, the purpose, the thing, the last man problem needs to be responded with serious realism. Because I believe that the people who are manifesting profound dreams and creating destinies and, and moving the world towards their visions of how things should be, these people aren't thinking about anything in that type of way. They're, well, they probably are, but they're really, really grounded in reality and they're very realistic and they pr- prosecute their goals with incredibly in- intelligence and they go step by step and achieve their goals and they get things done and w- like a lot of people on Twitter just like float around stuck in the air being like where are we going and I don't mean just on Twitter I see it everywhere I see it all over normie culture too oh there's alternate realities this is a simulation this isn't the real reality escapism something else somewhere else we're not supposed to be here now that's one side of things and um, also on the other side of things is the possibility that and I, I actually love this way of thinking is that we genuinely are in hell we're in a world of escapism or something like this and this is uh this is not the right place for us this is like the gnostic argument you know we're beings of light and why is there pain and trauma what is kind of going on here and there was a time in the past where things were more beautiful and more powerful or there will be some type of alternative reality that's going to come back and save us or we could leave this reality and go to a reality that is more beautiful i think that is a very very interesting thing to explore because it opens up to all these vistas of imagination and dynamic things and then you hear people like Giordani talk about the CIA projects like that, that explored things like remote viewing and reality shifting and all that, suggesting that it's sort of real. I don't know. I'm This is way above my pay grade. I don't really know what to make of it. Well, so I think it's important to balance these two takes. Well, speaking of balance, before we get to Thad, well, first off, we have a common $6.99 Canadian dollars from Mimetic Park, Uber, Boyo, and Daruma. Have you taken a look at Jordan Peterson's New York, oh, new work, Beyond Order, or thoughts on this comeback? So I want to get that after we uh, go through the Atlanta stuff. So real quick well, over here, we have this, uh, we, we have this uh, drawing over here, this freeze of the Sumerian Tree of Life. They, uh, the two guys over here in the center, sometimes they're birdmen. They have this cone that they are uh, facing this uh, tree with. And there's this little thing above, you know, with the wings and the tail spread out. And we see that in Egyptian art. We see that in uh, Zoroastrianism, you know, the Farvahar. I mean, I'm the guy who uh, made the comparison to between Sonic the Hedgehog and the Farvahar as far as symbolism goes. But beyond that, I think that a lot of these things talk about the um, processes that we see, again, in the human body, which I think is very realistic with Kundalini. It's not really something that uh, I could uh, swear everybody has, but many people have testified to having the same kind of experience with the snake-like energy going up through their spine and them experiencing a certain kind of sensation. My friend John Chavez, he did that documentary I mentioned, DMT Quest, retweeted by Joe Rogan, and he talked about in the documentary how they found the DMT is all all around the body. It goes all through the body. It's produced by the lungs, and it goes into the brain. And uh, this is uh, one of, I guess you could say, a chemical reason to explain why people have all these kind of psychedelic visions naturally through doing these various breathing techniques. But again, with the Kundalini, I start to look at all these different images. Like I posted that lady holding the two snakes. There are many images of people kind of like alchemically balancing two things in their arms. So it's like snakes, sometimes it's lions. And it goes to this idea of, uh, you know, the um, 
let's say we have the Kabbalistic uh, Tree of Life, we have the uh, Sephiroth, and we have the three pillars, and we have the Pillar of Severity and the Pillar of Mercy, finding a balance between the two. And it's very similar like in the Hindu system, uh, the Tantric system of Kundalini Yoga, where you would have the two Nadi, well, the three Nadis. You would have the Ida and the Pingala, like hot and cold, moon and sun, whatever you want to call them. And the idea is to have it go through the central Nadi, this primal energy from the root chakra up into the thousand petal lotus, and that is supposed to bring about the state. So I don't just want to fancifully talk about this stuff. I want to say, like, approaching it in the most scientific way possible. I'm just curious, like, have people done uh, research as far as what exactly this stuff uh, is. You mentioned uh, Uber Boyo, uh, the, uh, Steph, I'm going to call you Steph from now on. Steph, you mentioned the um, CIA doing, what was that operation? Operation Stargate. Stargate. I'll, yeah. I'll, talk, to, I'll talk to it at length if you wish. Uh, Tad, Tad just wanted to say something. If yes, go for it, Tad, in. and then Uber Boyo, and then Mimetic Park's uh, comment. So go for it, Tad. Thad, are you there, brother? You gotta unmute yourself. You are muted right now. Everybody subscribe while Thad is unmuting himself. Subscribe, subscribe, and keep subscribing. If yes, there we go. Had a siren going by. Yes. Um, what is going on? <laughs> uh, a big fan. I'm a big fan of the Robert Sepeher or Sepeher. Yeah. AKA <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, the Duck Whisperer. That's what I call him from the now duck on. Duck Whisperer. Yeah. Uh, based anthro. Um, and in fact, if you look at most of his claims, they're far, you know, using the Atlantis example, it's basically entirely feasible that the Azores were above sea level um, sometime around, you know, Plato has the city of Atlantis at 9000 BC, and it's west of the Pillars of Heracles, straight to the Strait of Gibraltar. And I had a very simple tweet about this, where it's just like, it's actually not super complicated, and it's right there, um, like a uh, not so submerged landmass. Um, out in the Atlantic. Um, but as far as like past civilizations, was the question just general takes on past civilizations and cycles? What, of what, what, well, what the question was, what I'm specifically interested in is not even this idea of we are all one man, which we see from a lot of mystery schools, but more of the nitty gritty having to do with seed he's having to do with various implementations of technology that they may have used back then that we may be rediscovering right now. Again, like referring to Helios logos, and I don't know where he gets this stuff from. He thinks that we're from Venus. I'm not going to get into that right now, but I loved his idea that the Atlanteans had organic matter as built Buildings, like construction materials. So if you were to go into an Atlantean palace, everything it would kind of you know, like how in the Flintstones you had the animals doing the work. It's a similar thing, but it's like all these organic masses of like probably arms and tentacles, and you know maybe they had like hentai for real. Like people talk about bringing anime into the real world. Maybe anime existed before it was in Atlantis. But anyway, go it's, on, it's, go fun, on that. it's fun. It's fun to play with. I just at the end of the day, and I, I've done streams with Helios Logos, and he's a fun guy. Um, I think Fun he's guy. very taken in by the, I forget that woman's name, the famous mystic who kind of um, pioneered a lot of that schools of thought from the, Nepal. But for the most part... Um, Blavatsky that, or Bailey? Yes, Blavatsky. Mm. Um, and for the most part, to me, it, it kind of like, it tarnishes what is to me like feasible historical and anthropological arguments from someone like Sepper, Sepper on just simple submerged land masses and cycles of civilizational destruction. Um, you know, to say that we have had, you know, I think Hancock goes too far to say that we've had multiple cycles of burying um, because it's almost akin to the claims of like the Mormons about how 
we've had past cycles of civilization in North America for which we simply cannot, we have no verification that points in that direction. Um, so I think that there's a realm of like plausible feasibility uh, beyond which, you know, as much as I love the theoretical and kind of fanciful um, ideas of somebody like Helios, to me, that is like beyond the pale. And I can't, um, I can't rise to that level of extrapolation as to what the past might have been. But Atlantis is a hell yeah, um, as are pre-Diluvian civilizations. And I think that's quite feasible um, back into, you know, the proto-Indo-European days. Well, what, well, one last thing. What are some designs that uh, people may attribute to using like logs or various things that you look at today and say, you know what, like these gigantic structures, like, I don't know, the Great Pyramid of Giza or, uh, you know, various other megaliths, like that one giant piece of rock that was, you know, carved in this block shape that uh, historians attribute to the Romans, even though the Romans never made anything like that. I'm going to try to find a picture of that thing. But you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like that giant megalith block, like, do you uh, think that there is any, let's say, using Occam's razor here, anything pointing to there being certain technologies that, like, would we even be able to make a block like that today? Or is this completely out of... Uh... I'm, I'm absolutely a believer in lost knowledge, especially when it comes to, let's say, um, stone placement by the Incas, uh, megalithic construction, Gobekli Tepe, um, various sites and topics like that. Um, but... I find all of the theories to be difficult to substantiate, difficult to form arguments for, and I can't really just grab one out of the air for mysticism because I have no reason to. And at the end of the day, I don't want to call it like esoteric LARPing, but uh, it's inconsequential to most of my philosophical views exactly how those things happen. Uh, to me, the major step is just acknowledging um, the nature of likely lost civilizations and lost logic while kind of being agnostic as to exactly what those things might have looked like. So there's there's an unsexy answer. <laughs> hmm. Well, just uh, real quick, and then I'm going to go back to Uber Boyo, but just real quick, the uh, view that uh, ha Hancock and others are talking about, I think uh, this is also uh, Sefer's view, is that there was, a, um, there was an impact or there was some kind of a cataclysm around 11,000 years ago as a result of which a lot of these ancient civilizations ended up perishing, but the survivors ended up transmitting their knowledge to uh, the people who were uh, left behind. And what I'm curious about is whether the people that they went to was sort of the equivalent of a much more higher powered uh, version of that Christian mi uh, missionary who ended up going into uh, the Sentinelese Islands and ended up being speared to death but since they had the Atlantean tech they just blocked the spears and then they were able to transmit their knowledge of how to make civilizations and all of a sudden in Sumeria, in South America and all these different places, you, well, e Egypt you start getting all these civilizations just sprouting the fuck up from almost, like you could say, from nothing. It was like nothing was there, and then all of a sudden you get all these civilizations. Now that may be a stretch, but that's at least the theory that people are talking about when it comes to, you know, these Atlantean or whoever survivors were the people who rebooted civilization, who restarted it, as opposed to this being something slowly and gradually uh, accumulated over time. It's kind of interesting. I mean, I don't really believe in, in uh, like the lost Atlantis, but I don't really know either. But I, I like the idea that at some point in time, there will be 
some small, maybe some small cell of people who are left over from like a civilizational collapse. They they manage to keep things going in some small way, and then they they reemerge and they have this like godlike stature amongst everybody else. I think it's kind of interesting too because of this this like mythic image of the like the lost civilization or like finding like a hidden world that you you like pierce through you know underneath the island or some shit like that because in my 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 thinking on this is that like really the internet as a as a as an option and other things produce a opportunity to like multiply and like create small worlds and and things like that and that part of the reason why people fantasize about that is because they know that like maybe we need that maybe the thing that it is uh for people who are aware of what's going on the the, the thing that is behooved to you is that like it's time to create a new world and it starts small it starts with this small uh a small hidden secret uh cabal of dudes on you know you get your guys together or you go on these like this is what i like that break the rules has so it's, it's so small because you you come on here and it's this like secret org you can i don't like it we it. gotta grow i, know, I don't I like know, it it's I, know, small. I know i know i know i know i don't mean it like that i, I just mean that like yeah for now for um, now i know it's like you can do anything on here man you can't do what, what you guys do here so, so yeah that's true that i mean plus youtube will just clip your wings after a while anyways so that's yeah that's why you got to follow us on the alternate platform like odyssey i'm putting the link in here anyway yeah go on. The, the point is it's like you you there's so much freedom to create like any kind of new world you want if you just get your boys together if you like buy a fucking farm somewhere if you if you create like small communities so i don't know i like i like that idea and then maybe after everything goes to shit then we re-emerge and we're like the atlanteans showing up and i'll be uh weird the motherfuckers under here love it nice yeah story. man we're gonna be whole digging that's what we're gonna be doing okay, I, I, man, this entirely back to things that are practical and pragmatic the reality is that um one of my hypotheses is the least talked about thing that is going to shape the future is that there's going to be a great fil filter whereby most modern people fail to reproduce um and at the end of the day this, this like you know plays into right-wing culture and stuff but everybody wants to talk about homesteading starting a breakaway civilization and adventuring with your boys but like nobody wants to actually buy the farm and commit to the woman and have the kids and I mean, I was actually just arguing becomes... with some e-girl about reproduction on the TL. That's why I was distracted. So yes, yeah. most... <laughs> the way the way this woman is framing it as being a, a harm and uh, that that it's um, this thing that um, it, it's really like this pervasive antinatalism, especially with young women, is just getting. Um, I don't yeah. know, something like more more people want to metaphorically buy the farm as opposed to yeah. actually buy the farm. This plays into it reflects that 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 Nietzschean, and it's still even if you have the right values, but you're existing solely in the world of the mind, um, lacking the Ooh. bodily or even the lifestyle aspect. It's the same thing. You have it. You are larping like like the, my, my side. The people I identify with are are in many ways LARPing just as much as the other side when they say they want to create their anarcho-communist fucking plantation where they're going to all get old and die without having kids to protect the polar bear. Like, it's, it's the same amount of LARPing. 
there's um again like niche npc let me just wind it up here for a second and i'll get going actually before i get into that i will i will make some comments i will make some comments on the the truth about how everything works so for example you um you have seen lord of the rings i i hope now if you know sauron sauron was actually inspired tolkien got inspired by the eye of sauron by reading irish mythology because off the Mm. west coast of ireland if you look at the west coast of ireland what you see there only ocean but not according to irish myth it's not so fucking interesting off the coast the west coast of ireland there was this giant tower of mirrored glass with a giant eye upon it the eye of balor and that's where the fomorians live the evil tyrannical people living within the ocean and they oppressed the terrible poor original tuiridana people of the day people of the 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 sky who interestingly came from four cities up upon the North Pole. I don't know what that means. Anyway, they came down from there and they landed in Ireland. They defeated the Fomorians who were some type of botched leftover people who were attached to this weird Balrog entity in the in the, the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And um, this was the sort of reality of how all this works. And then, of course, the Tuadeidana, very mystical, magical people, sort of um, elf-like in some type of way. They lived as the, the gods of Ireland, very similar to the Greek gods. Some people suggest they may have been Indo-European, but we don't don't know because what happened afterwards came these people called the Milesians and I believe this might be the Gaels as we understand them now who are the Irish the Gaelics and then um, these people got rid of the two of the Dana and so what the two of the Dana did the gods they they hid underneath the earth they ran into the caves in Ireland and they went hiding underneath the earth and they said that we will return someday but for now we are leaving and then what they did is they went in there and they I think they morphed or somehow intermixed with these things we call the fairies and so a big scary problem as a young Irish woman when you have a kid is that what happens is the fairies will come in the middle of the night and swap your kid for a fairy who will pray pretend so what you got to do is yeah a changing you got to shout at your kid and be like are you a fucking fairy and if the kid doesn't answer <laughs> properly you have to like i don't know kill him or something or do some magic spell so um ireland is ireland is the place you want to go ireland's probably the portal bros like ireland probably was beside atlantic and the atlanteans were probably a tyrannical arrogant people like plato said they were and the irish were all right about it but nonetheless um to, to kind of relate to Thad th- that he was suggesting, again, Nietzsche does this in Genealogy of Morals. He looks through the, the, the ways that the, 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 the rulers describe themselves. So, for example, nowadays we say the rich and the poor or the elite. That's kind of turning into a meme. And, of course, he studied the, the, the Indo-European languages and found out, for example, the, the, the word Aryan that was so popular back in his day came from the Iranian word, which meant the owner or possessor, the person who owns. He noticed that with the... the um, the, the the Germans, you have schlecht, which means bad, but also means poor, like rich and poor. It means like kind of underling. And then um, the Greeks had the sort of similar things. The Greeks had this concept known as truthful. So the, the rich saw themselves as the people who are truthful, or as Nietzsche understood it, the people who own the truth, who, who mm. are real, who possess reality. Or like a Satya Yuga, for instance, the golden age. Satya means truth. Very interesting, yeah. So, so it would be all along this type of alignment. And of course, what you see with a lot of the fantasizing and escapism and pontificating is that when you don't possess reality, meaning you don't have the capability nor the ability to execute your goals and actually achieve a real tangible fantasy, you 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 have your visions and your instincts that you want to manifest in the world, but you don't have the material 
will or power in order to actually manifest these things, what you begin to do is you begin to fantasize. As I was saying before, you escape, you hope for an alternate reality. This is what Nietzsche accused Christianity of. He said, Christianity promises you it's the, it's the signal, the prime signal of a slave morality. It's a situation where you've got a people who do not possess the Jewish power the, of the Pharisees and they do not possess the Roman power of the state. So what they begin to do is they begin to fantasize about some type of separate um, elegant power, such as this God of theirs that they talk about. Jesus, uh, not Jesus, sorry, the Jews talk about it as well because they were in the same position. They don't possess reality. So they create an alternate reality. They create an imagination. They create a fantasy. Now, these fantasies can be incredibly powerful. Nietzsche's sort of saying they have power in and of themselves, which is an amazing head fuck when you think about it. This this fantasy, which is begins as a delusion, can turn into a weapon. That's one thing he says. But nonetheless, it's a very, very interesting signal because those who possess reality execute their goals. Go, those who possess reality actually get stuff done. Those who are powerful and real and true, they make things happen. Dreams are cool if you make them happen. Like, for example, manifesting your dreams is one of the most coolest things you could do. Elon Musk is in an incredible position because he's going to make his fantasies come true. I would really like in my position to be able to make, you know, the Red Book as a film or Thus Spoke Zarathustra as a film someday and then maybe eventually get my own dreams like Makina as a film someday. That would be a great, great achievement for me that is obviously honorable to the fantasizing part of our mind, but of course, realistic as well and grounded. And it's going to be fucking hard. I'm not sure if I'm going to pull it off, but I'm going to give it a shot. But this is, I think, a really really important heaviness that Nietzsche brings to a lot of um, the perspectives on this type of stuff being like look it's the, the, there is this massive propensity towards escapism we've got it in all ways we idealize we we get lost in our abstractions and and we often call it larping now and um, but I, I think it is like abstracting escapism going away from the one place that we should go which is the boring reality of the body and the felt experience and the actual reality that we live in like I'd love to be in Agartha I love if the fucking <laughs> if the Irish are going to pop up out of the stones and come and save me and all that type of stuff but well there's this book, ireland uh, ireland is well, i want to i want to i want to come in because i was reading that essay that you're talking about i like this is a funny coincidence and i'm very happy to be on this stream now because i literally just started reading nietzsche like two weeks ago oh and shit. i started with that book and i read that first essay like three times in the last couple weeks mm. and one thing in there that has been hitting me like really hard is this idea in particular that like the old idea of good is uh, vital, meaning that it emerges from its, its, it is of its own nature. Like if you're beautiful, you're just beautiful. There's no questions asked and you don't ask anyone's permission either to, to they'll just know. And, and in this way, like the noble morality is, is uh, a vital thing that emerges in of itself. You're strong. You, you just are strong. Like you can lift heavy weights. You are athletic. You're beautiful. You are uh, this sort of stuff. And that the new, the slave morality, the main thing about it is this idea that it is all about uh, exercising resentment. And that's like the real key that, that took me out big time because I hang around on like based and red pill Twitter all the time. And what I notice <laughs> is that like there's the conspiratorial thinking, like regardless, like I personally, I think that people like us are technically being oppressed. But the, the question in our culture that doesn't get asked is like, like why, like, like the oppression is always linked to resentment. In fact, oppression is always seen mostly as permission to be resentful. And the permission to be resentful is like always seen as good and valuable within our like slave morality possessed culture. And uh, it's, it's a shame because, because a human being has a birthright ability to emanate virtue naturally that requires no oppositional force. 
Like, like we don't, we don't need a, like a, a red skull as a bad guy in order that we can uh, see our virtue manifest. Like, but within a slave morality, you need a bad guy to, to combat in order that your like hero journey becomes complete. So the idea is that in, in the, the right wing Twitter sphere, the, uh, it's always there's bad people who are oppressing us. We resent them. And like, it is, goes back to what you're saying, a way in the meaning, Steph, about how that one poet started, like after the after modernity happened, he just started basically tweeting about politics on his, on his, uh, on his poems. And he lost his, his, like his, his juice. And I think that this caring about politics is like sapping energy from people it's like it's like it's like divorcing us from our creative force for the the reasons that you talked about but also because fundamentally it's almost all politics of resentment which means that everything that you think and everything that motivates you fundamentally is only exists insofar as there is an oppositional force and therefore if you do do anything that's good whether you do or not only if you do anything good it is only good because the bad people that you don't like exist which means that like we it's like lacking vitality and that's that's a, a very astute and brilliant observation that I, I really i really like that like i've i've I, if if you look at what nietzsche says resentment is because he doesn't use the word resentment as we use it now it's a resentiment which is the word sentiment we get that word i'm sentimental you know that mm. and resentimental means reaction sentiment well, so i word, i think yeah, so I, I turn around and I'm like beautiful and strong and Chad and you look at me or like you're beautiful and strong and Chad and I look at you and I'm I'm like envious. I'm like, so you're something, you're a cause, you're a create, you're, I've yeah. just got myself all juiced up and I'm like, ah, oh, fucking dickhead. I feel a resentment towards you. I'm reacting to you. Now think about what the, is the core thesis among most of the, you could say right-wing Twitter or something like that, is that we are reactionaries. There is a reactionary movement going on. It's a fundamental statement of we are in the losing position. We are fighting against the power as you're saying we are resenting we are re-sentimental we are bouncing back we are reactionaries now this is terrible for many for many even political reasons because you're not operating off first principle you're then operating off the back foot you're you're getting some dude is is boxing with you and he's jabbing you in the face and you're trying to avoid it and he's about to counterpunch you and you're just trying to be like avoid this type of thing it's the ultimate position of failure it's a terrible thing to be involved with and you see it there's like i i speak to a lot of people in, in this type of stuff and you see it it's just bad, heavy energy of people who are just not in great places. Now, there's some parts of it that I think are absolute gold. Like I think the kind of people who like really are serious about just getting physiologically um, sorted out, they, they tend to have a really, really strong and funny energy in that type of sense. And that's good. And I think they're kind of on the right track in that type of regard. And they can believe what they want if they, if they do have reactionary ideas, but the first principles are in place. But, but this is a really, really, really serious issue. And it's a very astute thing to notice because of course, what counts as winning or what would be the energy of someone who is a winner is that they would have especially in the realm of like politics if you will or the realm of culture is as you said you're not a reactionary you're a first principle you're an asserter and what is that in this realm it's not with your fists it's with your dreams it's the person who can decide what the future looks like and give a vision towards the future and walk people towards it and i don't see any of that yeah it's yeah. completely dead he, he even said in that essay at the very beginning he said something so based i think which is he's like he's talking about some shit that he disagrees with but he's like i won't refute this and he's like i don't refute i only <laughs> as like i'm only positivist i just yes, say yes. what is what is more true and i give a better picture i don't even refute because he's like he won't even enter into that and i think that's just so it's this so exactly 
That's exactly yeah. it. That's exactly it. It's like Nietzsche is like, here's what I see. Here's what, here's the vision. Here's the reality as I see it. And you can react yeah. again if you want. And I'm probably going to like kind of drum up the kind of drama a little bit to make you more pissed off yeah, yeah, and yeah. try to hurt your feelings. But it's that fundamental assertiveness of reality. Like I have a dream. I have yeah. a dream and I have a future and I'm, this is what I'm aiming for. And I think it's sort of late in there. Like you see the people who have this trad vision of the past and they're kind of getting there a little bit. There's a dream of sorts, but it's not in any way tangible and realistic. Whereas compare, like talk, please one day sit down and talk to a radical leftist and they have a very clear dream about the positions and plans and goals talk to someone who's a techno utopian tech head they have a very clear vision it might not be right we're probably i don't know getting plugged into techno satan and losing my consciousness might not be the right thing to do but their dream is viscerally clear yeah. and they're getting blockchain and they're are orientating technology Chichinati all stole you off the second that is the best yeah. example for those who know who we're talking about here he's the uh, president of the US, united states transhumanist party and one of our uh, greatest episodes that we've ever had was him talking with Sonny, a.k.a. Ariosophy. I don't know if you know Sonny from uh, Kaliak uh, back, I'd say back in the day, but it was like only last year. I mean, things were so quick. <laughs> but anyway, I highly recommend you checking that one out. And also, um, what, I'm, what I'm curious about here is I want to raise the tension just a little bit. Not much, but just a little bit. Because you said something about Christianity, and I want to give Gio a chance to... Uh, kind of a uh, counter if you want to geo i don't want to put you on the spot but just it may be interesting to kind of uh because now is the time yeah. you know because you've studied both sides of it you know in like in, you... in in good spirits like i, I don't mean anything yeah. bad i don't want to insult anybody's religion or anything like that i'm just nietzsche nietzsche larping that's all that's going on but you if you have thoughts i'd love to hear them sorry i'm just getting distracted by this terrible person on twitter there you go geo you're doing, you're doing the thing state. you're doing the Fuck. thing man no, but yeah, I know it's it's terrible. But um, I, I think the problem with the sort of Nietzschean take on Christianity is that it's a bit of a simplification in terms of what the sort of the moral comportment of Christianity is. I mean, no doubt there is um, a degree of resentment involved. But when it comes down to it, when it comes to living within the image of Christ, that is in itself um, an example of the ultimate uh, life for something that is exemplary in every aspect. And when it comes down to it, um, there is sort of, there's the popular version of, of Christianity in some regards in that, like, you know, do unto others what is you know, done, you know, do unto others uh, what I would like to be done myself, be good to people, turn the other cheek. But within that, the actual sort of, the reality of what Christ is telling us in terms of, I bring a sword, I, uh, you know, go and sin no more. That's those overlooked aspects of Christianity. In some ways, it was a lot of rhetorical, um, rhetorical venom that Nietzsche was throwing towards Christianity. But at the end of the day, there was these subtle moments here and there where he had a great reverence for the Christian worldview and its ability to utilize reason and logos in such a way. So I, I don't know. I think that um, there's more to it than simply pointing out that the, the Christian worldview is filled with this sort of resentment and this denial of the earth itself. There's something there else going is. on there. Yeah, there certainly well, is. To say, like, well, Gio, Gio, Nietzsche had great things to say about Christ. That's the mm -hmm. thing. It's the Christianity and you have to see it in the context of the century he grew up in and kind of like the, the tepid Protestantism in which he was by which he was surrounded. And he had other comments on Catholicism, but I think it's, it's a 
very culturally specific critique of a type of Christianity that um, doesn't take as much issue with Christ himself as it does with the interpretation by the Christians, um, if I may just offer that. Mm, well, that's like yeah. he he did say in the genealogy that he saw like like the like Catholicism in many ways represented a, a, a cyclical return into like the Roman the noble yeah, morality elements yeah. of yeah. Roman and that like Protestantism was this kind of cringe according hmm. to him anyway but yet at the same time no but at the same time it's like this sort of explosion of the natural order that I think Nietzsche was sympathetic to and he saw within germany in his own time the sort of the protestantism of the re post-reformation that was delegitimizing a lot of authority like th this is i think the misconception he didn't sort of celebrate the coming epoch of the world without you know the death of god it's more of a warning and like near the end there's good evidence to suggest that he almost regretted like he couldn't really grasp at different areas of where you could sort of replace um, what Christianity, Christianity represented, well, apostolic Christianity mm -hmm. specifically represented to the heart of Western civilization. So, uh, but sorry, go ahead, Uberbor. Mm -hmm. Was your your thoughts well, on it? I I can have a lot of stuff to say. Like I can really stand in Nietzsche's corner if you want, because I'm not sure where I stand on this. This is a big question, and it's my fucking salvation. I'm some an Irish Catholic. Like I'll get fucking mm. murdered if I'm not careful about saying the wrong thing here. But I don't think um I I don't think it's correct if you want to talk in Nietzsche's corner to see it as anything else that he accused Christianity of being the single worst thing to ever happen to maybe even humanity, but specifically the Europeans. Mm. He was pretty bluntly and adamant about it he calls he calls jesus in the antichrist he suggests that look it's fair to even look at jesus as a a, a, a rebel possibly even criminal rebelling against the order of the pharisees and the order of the romans he was like a that type of force i look i'm, I'm not sure what i'm supposed to think about that i haven't completely sunk into the antichrist and checked it all out but he's pretty explicit about that you know now i think the thing to focus on is to look at his first principles and try to understand his first principles and work from them and see what's going on as i was saying before and as um Dar daruma brought up the idea of you've got uh you, the masters assert so for example i've got my dreams I've got my instincts. I feel like I want to make a castle and then I want to make great art inside that castle. And I build that castle. And then like Daruma does that. And I'm and Thad has another castle. And I don't have a fucking I'm a broke Irish dude who drank too much. So I'm looking up the castles being like, I'm resenting, I'm resentiment, and I'm getting bitter and angry. And what I begin to do is I begin to fantasize. It's like, you know what? I could have a castle someday. I can have this type of reactionary situation. I begin to imagine a, a secret, fantasized pseudo history with a god inside of it that's going to protect me. And this is a essentially what happened to the Jews is what Nietzsche saw. They were Israel, a big powerful people with Yahweh who was standing as the proud God who's you know, giving them that type of power. Nietzsche called them specifically a noble people who had the brilliant, brilliant stories of the Bible and they were actually like based enough to write it all down. And then of course they got conquered. And then what happens with their conquest is that they shift, they lose their warrior caste is basically what happens and they lose basically their farming caste. And so they become literally only a priestly caste. That's all that's left of the Jews really. And so they get taken into Babylon. And at this point, they begin to re they do this reactionary stuff. They're reacting against everything around them. And they begin to imagine and fantasize. And you can like, look, imagine if you gave Twitter Agartha culture like yeah. 400 years to just keep on going crazier and crazier. Well, you, also can't, 
you can't forget the Zoroastrians because they probably got Zoroastrian exposure when they were in captivity in Babylon, oh, yeah. and Zoroastrianism then, is the original good versus evil. Yeah, but then I religion. guess, but Nietzsche's point still stands that Western metaphysics, like when you look at like the very tippy top at the end, which is Kant and Hegel, like so fundamentally fucked things up that in terms of metaphysics itself not really conveying anything but pure abstraction i mean when you throw everything in the numinal realm then that's it it's by the time nietzsche gets to the twilight vitals his sort of like the popular picture of nietzsche being slashing and burning and and like edgy teenager shit that's like that sort of solidifies but but then the nuance is still there uh then he went crazy i mean someone in the chat said that why are all these mystical figures such as uh, Terence McKenna and Nietzsche, why are they all dying of brain cancer? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good take. Holy shit, that's a good take. Well, no, young, well, except for young, he died of a heart attack, but he was relatively old. I think he was almost like 90 something mm. years old. You know, he's um, an old boy. He's an old yeah. boy. Yeah. Um, he was but, the but, only one that escaped, I guess, maybe because he didn't use drugs. I mean, that's probably who knows, <laughs> who knows, right? But, um, yeah, the Antichrist is good. Uh, people are talking about the Antichrist in the chat, but sorry to cut you off. Um, I'm, I'm curious to. I guess we could transition to um, your thoughts on the, well, I mean, it's so stupid even just talking, flying out of my mouth. I'm still, thi- I had to, bl- I had to block this e-girl, by the way. Oh but, my God. Um, uh, it's, not Ayla, is, is it? so, it's not Ayla, is it? It's not Ayla, is it? No, no, God, no. She's way yeah. smarter than this one. Yeah. Um, I, I, It's stupid for me to even say, but what is your take, Uber Boyo? On the Jordan Peterson industry, well, uh, Jordan Peterson industrial uh, complex. Sorry, go, go ahead. I'll go actually, ahead. I'll actually continue the Christian thing and lead yeah. to that in, in, in a second because I, I sort of see how that could come together. So, mm. for example, the, the idea then is the Jews create the the imaginary um, world and all this type of stuff, and then that becomes their culture. That's the, the biblical culture, the biblical story, and they become really good at abstractions. Basically, what he's saying is they become masters of the realms of abstraction. There's a lot of terrible first principles in here because it's completely stuck in the head it's completely abstracted out of the body and it's completely in denial of instincts and it becomes an entirely reactionary yeah. religion which is completely against as he would talk about the the masters assertive of religion then of course and this is he's very clear about this christianity is born out of this roots and so it's from this frame it's from this tread of thinking and for this reason it's not yeah foundationally right it's not foundationally true it doesn't matter even necessarily maybe who jesus is he could be a chad but it's not like the whole perspective and worldview is wrong it's on its wrong in its first principles because it, it involves thinking reactionary about another world that's going to save you when in reality we need to engage with this world and return back to our, our instincts and understand this like we were saying at the start the homeric instincts and learn how to listen to them and all that type of stuff now but- Just real quick, I just want to ask, when it comes to mystery school practices like Plato also participated in, this is something that I see in whether it's Islam, whether it's Christianity even, or whether it's Judaism, you would have like these interior mystery school esoteric sects, and those seem to, you know, there is this idea that while all religions differ, all the esoterics agree. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly the case, but I am curious, would you classify those various mystery school practices involving meditation and so on and so forth as being in touch with reality or going into fantasy so so this is a really good question now it's going to kind of pull me a little oh. bit aside oh, okay. no but, we can uh, we can save it for later yeah well I, I will go into it because it's actually part of the same thread of thought i'll, yeah. I'll be brief and maybe we can go into it more more deeply later um the 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 the, the in, inside this world that i'm talking about you have the jews in babylon and the jews become a, a priestly type of people who need to abstract 
because that's the only way that they can do anything. This is their way of doing things. They react, create the fantasy, create all this idea of like, there's this God planning out history, which is completely like, it, 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 the Romans call this atheism when they come across it. They're like, the Jews are atheists. The Christians are atheists. They don't believe in a, a God. They believe in some type of weird magic dude who's like protecting them exclusively from some type of, it's ridiculous. There's no there's no connection to the world and all this type of stuff. But what, what we also notice, what Nietzsche also noticed is that when in all people, there's these instincts, there's the instincts of the people People who are very chad in the body instinctive they don't overthink things their intellect tends to be quite humbled and they might even be high iq but they're not really in their heads and these people tend to go on to do roles like you know nowadays they work as athletes or they tend to be lifters and they're working in finance and all this type of stuff and then you have the kind of block of people who go into the books get stuck in their heads become neurotic and go into academia or go into the priesthood or go into the the pharisee industry and all this this is the priestly type this is this character of person who is very very much stuck in their noggin, stuck in the abstractions and wants to spend all their time juggling around the abstractions and the symbols. And in some sense, like this is, it's a pretty ruthless call out to me and my life, but it's sort of like, you know, that's, that stuff is, you've got to be very, very careful. It's highly prone towards abstraction and delusion. And a lot of these groups and cults and philosophical sects are, are, are very, very, very much got that type of person involved within them. Now there's, there's, it's not that abstraction is wrong and evil and bad. It's just that if you, may become totalitarian about abstraction you're an idiot you 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 you're not good at philosophy you 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 sacrifice the world for the sake of your thinking which is what he accused people like plato and socrates for well you know the same person basically which is what he accused those people for he was suggesting that you're making you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater you're making everything about abstractions you're getting lost in this other world this realm of forms he would probably accuse young of the same thing bro yeah nice about the archetypes what about the real fucking world in front of you this type of thing and it's and this type of Po Wait, yeah, post I thought you were saying something, but I was like post physique. I was like, yes, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm sure you yeah. were. Yeah. No. Oh yeah, just, just, just saying post physique. It's it's, it's the same. Uh, to, conversely, uh, if you, the whole if you're so smart, why aren't you happier? If you're so smart, why are you unhappy, single, childless, um, and imp impotent essentially by yeah. existing only the, the world of the mind? And this segues well, in my opinion, and I'm, I'll, I'll give it back to you to Sekwayo, but into the world of Jordan Peterson, which is that in order to be successful using abstractions to impact people's lives, you have to be able to communicate them well through metaphor and through tying them well to the physical and real world. And I think what Jordan Peterson stumbled upon is somebody who was primarily a man of the mind, and if you read his first book, Max of Meaning, okay. is living in entirely abstractions, is that he figured out how to use the right metaphor, similes, and um, you know, concrete examples that the average person who does not exist in that world of the mind can grasp. And he, in the process, he didn't do it for this reason, but in the process, he became wildly successful and famous. Um, but that's where I see he is an academic who figured out how to um, uh, make what he was working on actionable and tangible to the average person. So giving it back to you, Boyle. No, just, uh, that's a really, really important um, thing to understand is that like that that's the sort of thing. He's like, his whole thing is digesting and bringing stuff down. And absolutely, his earliest stuff is quite neurotic and stuck in the head, you find. And 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 he he, he like develops that ability to be really articulate in that type of way. But um, to, to kind of continue with the story, this conflict between the warriors and the priests, the knights and the priests, as Nietzsche talks about genealogy of morals, happens within cultures. It happened within Europe. You had the priestly caste and the warrior caste. And these are like institutions in the body like organs it's like the literal
literal organs of the body and the muscles versus the brain itself. And this actually conflict happens within people. People come in to me and I sit down with them and I see this conflict happening. The priestly type within living up in this section of their head and the body themselves that's saying, fucking stop feeding me soy, please. I'm dying here. Please stop this type of thing. This conflict happens. It happens in cultures and it happens across between cultures. The Jews were a priestly people, par excellence, as he called them. And they then form out this abstract worldview. And this comes and sort of marries with Greece in a sort of way to form this sort of religion of, of total abstraction, total the abstractions is so intense that it's completely there is literally another world and this world it's almost like gnosticism is wrong and fake and evil and gay this is the bad world this is the world well you now do it's not become political like gnosticism if you've read eric vogelin it's everywhere now i mean we've seen several political gnosticisms as we speak going on in society without naming uh particular movements yeah. but you know no yeah no, it's a great point Great point. Being banned, but. but when it comes to Gnosticism, <laughs> this kind of ties it back to the mystery school question I was asking earlier. Gnosis means to well to know something, to find out what the truth is. And when it comes to not just uh, following a particular creed, but actually going through all these various initiation rites, mystery school practices, like since we talked before about how we have somebody like Plato who. Uh, as far as I know, could be wrong, but he may have participated in these various Egyptian mystery schools. And uh, when it comes to something like that, how much is that based in reality versus going into like a fantasy land or how much of that is kind of stripping away all the extra stuff and getting to the source uh, of uh, existence? Well, it's a super, super complex question, and it's a really interesting question. I won't have enough time to go into it properly, but you can think of it this way, is that like if you got into the highest levels of Google and hung out with Kurtzwell, you would probably sit down with him and talk to him about AI, and he would be fully convinced that he's going to build God with AI, and he would be actually quite effective in achieving this. It might be completely delusional, but there's something weird about it is that like you can actually, through these ideas, achieve, like create really powerful tools to affect the world. Does it make the world a better place? I'm not too sure. It might be, you know, this sort of Luciferian delusion where he's serving Satan in some type of sense by accident and manifesting the AI matrix. We're all in an ancestor on. simulation, man. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it could be the it could be the case that that's actually what's going on. And um, but the, the the reality is is that we don't really know. And this is sort of what Nietzsche meant by this idea with the, the the Jews and then their manifestation, the manifestation of Christianity is that it came out of this thing where there was this um, supreme abstraction happening with the Jews, and then Christianity makes it even even more abstract. But what's amazing is that the religion that comes out of this, even though it's completely falsified, it's completely not real, it's completely not about the real world. It's all about the other world. Even though that, that to him, like he looks at that and he's like, that's the, the most delusional thing you possibly believe. It is literally the most effective religion to ever exist in the world, which is so fucking crazy when you think about it. And there's something to it. And I, I don't know what that means. This is this is where stuff is just like way it beyond my pay. correct. That's what... well, when, well, when you're talking about like long... Maybe it does. <laughs> For, Maybe like, it does. If you're talking about longing for another world, longing for like a um, the a New Jerusalem, you know that uh, a beautiful uh, golden cube that's supposed to I don't know if it's supposed to land on the earth or whatever. <laughs> but when you're talking about that, it's like to me, like let's say uh, somebody has an idea of God being like an old man with a beard. And again, this is like you know very Redditier takes, very Redditier atheist. This is takes like of, tweets of God, atheist. Like yes, 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 yeah. exactly. But at the well, Richard Dawkins, he's still tweeting about how. You literally believe it's the body and blood of Christ. Like yes. the other day, it was hilarious. But the response he's getting now compared to the response he got in 2007. Yeah. 
but that's but the other level though yeah but love god is a big bearded man in the sky yes but if we are talking about the beard that beard could be an analogy for like the rays of uh ein sof what i mean by that is like if you're talking about the Kabbalists, for instance their whole thing is they're not sitting around waiting to go to heaven or shale or wherever. Their whole thing is that they are transmuting their existence here on earth in order to perceive reality in a different way. It doesn't mean that they're escaping reality from what I understand. It just means that when they're, when they look at everything that's going on around us, they just see it from a different perspective, maybe from a higher perspective. I, th- I actually think you're correct. And I think this is why, like, look, for example, Nietzsche was very appreciative of Buddhism because he looked at Buddhism as something that, like, you could say this is on a spectrum. The priestly type can be done well. And Nietzsche talks about this at the end of Genealogy of Morals. Like, how would you do this well? How would you be a priest well? How would you be this sort of celibate weirdo well? How would you do the correct job? The, the Brahmin, how would you be that type of thing? And so, for example, he'd say, well, there, there's, there's the wrong way to do it, which is like, all right, you, you become a left hemispheric Kantian drone and get lost in abstractions and, and completely falsify reality, become a resentful little bastard, turn around and develop the deepest hate you could possibly imagine and use your power to wield control over society and tyranny, brainwash the population, stop them from being able to gain knowledge and castrate all the warriors and make them fight like nonsense crusades or something like that. Like that's one possible damage that could happen. Now, look, and that's not the true history, I know, but you kind of get my point the way he's framing this. Um, And then the other spectrum would be you get like, for example, you appreciate a Buddhism. You get these people who literally sit down and they say, your abstracting mind is fucking the main obstacle turn it off and we're going to get you to fully embrace and perceive reality and so this is full realism this is entire realism it's not some type of romantic will to power religion but it's very very simple and 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 down to earth and grounded it's like monkey mind off abstract mind off we're going to discipline you you're going to create you in this type of sense and this is actually very very interesting and within the priestly caste you get these two forces you get the realistic disciplined ordered controlling perceptive forces that observe reality and then, of course, you get this propensity towards delusion and abstraction and jargonism. And both of them have, like, I don't know, can you get rid of them or what you can do about it? So Nietzsche's, like, in some sense saying, if you want to make a priestly type, well, by God, try tilt them towards this thing. But then he talks about all crazy stuff about, well, the abstractions have power. So maybe we should actually come to understand how they have power and learn how to use them and actually understand yeah. it like a weapon. And that's like you're spiraling into like but- meta for sex up there. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was one of the really crazy things about that essay is he's mostly like, I don't like this worldview, but there's this hint where he's like, but on one hand, it is like one of the most powerful things is the fact that like you could instead go as a as like an active person into the world of morality and like completely reinvent it as this. And it's like, damn, dude. So this is exactly, and this is the sort of link I was trying to make to Jordan Peterson is that the, the, the thing with Christianity is that you study Christianity and you understand what happened here. And this is a, this is a pretty radical thought. So again, I'm not trying to bash in anyone's religions. Like, I don't know where I settle on this. I just sort of, I'm a Nietzsche bot, right? But Nietzsche is sort of saying, yeah, what happened is that in comes this abstract religion and the people who seize this religion and seized authority over the minds of the many were able to literally decide exclusively what is true and what is false false what is good and what is bad they could take any warrior doesn't matter how strong and muscly you are they own your mind they can they could program you they could tell you to do anything they could point to the jerusalem and say go die there for me now 
go. It's good. And, and everything else is bad. They can control any behavior you have. They have incredible power in that type of sense. And he saw this as these priestly types creating reality. They literally seized reality, took power and possessed reality. They became the masters. They became the chads. The warriors were cooked. The masters of before, the Romans were cooked. Well, they tricked they were... them through acts of uh, the festivals of cruelty and suffering. Mm. They were like... And now... Yeah, the we priests all have were like to die for Israel. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, say oh, that again. See, see, that's another fascinating oh. one as well, because that oh, archetype Lordy. has been playing out for centuries in the same sort of context. You know, the Crusades were go to Jerusalem. Like yeah. it's all been happening, you know? It's absolutely nuts. And and it's all to do with the ability to just seize the mind and make it go wherever it wants. And it's the incompetence of the, the, the reactionaries to do anything about it when you think about it. So Nietzsche coming at the end of the 19th century saw all this. You could say he, he, he saw this and let's assume he's right. You can argue if you want, but assuming he's right, that the categories can be seized, this abstract world can be seized. He says to himself, basically, Christianity sort of sterilized us. It, it, it stopped us from being able to be creative decide whatever is the future i can push in whatever way if you want to think about it this way we're talking about the idea of to, to be able to dream i can't make my own dreams i can't dream my own future my own vision because all my visions have to be given to god they all have to be given to god which actually secretly means the priests and the priests get to decide the way the world works and he's sort of sitting down and saying how come we don't sit down and say to ourselves we don't need to listen to that we don't need to listen to abstractions we don't need to listen to any of this stuff we just need to understand and observe and then say to ourselves our instincts which we trust we're like the homeric greeks we trust our instincts create dreams inside of our mind and visions for the future and we trust these because we trust ourselves why don't we just say that is good and we assert ourselves and go towards this instincts and of course this will give us a vision of ourselves if we were more beautiful our most beautiful healthy strong version of ourselves and then he says that is the ubermensch that is the future that we're trying to point towards and he points towards it himself and he says we won't be it we're only the the bridge towards this type of ubermensch that's his whole sort of take and point so there you go that's his uh, wow. And then Jordan, Jordan Peterson comes along and he does an absolutely excellent job, but it's it's very interesting. Like he constantly says Nietzsche is wrong. Nietzsche went crazy and, and Nietzsche didn't do a good job and Nietzsche wasn't right. And Nietzsche, and he says this, he says, Jung said Nietzsche can't create, you can't create your own values. Therefore, Nietzsche was wrong. And it's this constant, a same yeah. thing again. Think about what's happening. I don't like that thing that he said there. With, because He's when kind you of read, right though. Well, well, well I, I think I think so, but I think there's something hidden in in there, which is that if you if you it's, it's like this. It's like this is this is my interpretation of it that synthesizes these two things. If you are uh, if you go all in on on master morality, you become a master, and you expunge all resentful energy and intention and morality from you completely. Then, in a natural way, you become a source of value. Like, like as a source of value, like you, you have a natural right to be a source of value. Like Gio, you're an artist, like you can paint a beautiful painting. People can become well, I strong. I like them, Gio, but well, whatever. Anyway, that's the, but you understand what I'm saying. You yeah. can create. Well, you, you have the and, right, you have the right to give your own morality to yourself and you've. Well, it's, it's, it's like I don't a, even think, it, I don't even know. I don't even know if it's that. I think it's, it's that 
it's that it's not even necessarily up to you exactly what that good is going to be. It might be that you you get rid of the resentment well, and then a good emerges, but it's not like an intellectual creation of yours what that good is exactly. I, I would even like I, I would even actually shear the word master morality because it's too tied up with the idea of like I'm gonna fucking dominate you morality and slave morality and and really try to center on that idea of asserting a dream and asserting a vision because I think that is actually closer to what Nietzsche was talking about like the idea of why why do why do we dream why do we have goals and futures and hopes and dreams because dreams create value it's what we want that creates value that that's that's like what I want is what I value dreams create value and so the whole idea is that I'm able to sit here like, and if I completely I'm like a, an ignorant Greek Homeric person and I have these hopes and dreams about the future I want to be the Chad I want to be the person respected I want it to be the festivals I want them to be about me I want to be about the things that I make I want to have the power laid upon me so I can make the movies that represent my dreams I, I, want, I want all this good stuff and that's my instinct speaking my selfish egotistical instinct speaking and that's actually all good and that is what you could say assertive quote-unquote master morality but I, I don't understand what master morality is it's well, just a concept I, I, what, what but, about but, this though what about if but no, you but have... that is will to power as a generative force rather than mm. a force well, of destruction well, what about will, like the, will to power comes from the word will to mocked which is where we like related it's got a tone of the world will yeah. to make which is very, very close to the yes. idea of create. It's, it's a lot more assertive in that way. And this is sort of what I think is so important to understand about this is that our ability to dream is the most sacred thing we have. If we don't have that, we are essentially castrated spiritually. We're going to die. And that's sort of what he's saying. You die when you don't have any hope of the future, you die without a something to strive for a meaning. You're going to crumble and die. You need a meaning. And this is, this is like what I'm, the reason why I'm kind of drilling at this is because Jordan Peterson is, is sort of like representative, you could say, of the conservative or the reactionary or even the Christian movement. I don't mean this as I, I'm trying to say I hate them, but I'd offer this as something to be very aware of. He basically inhibits the most important part of Nietzsche, which is Nietzsche is saying, we need to start dreaming of a future. We need to give ourselves over in a Dionysian mode to dreams. We need to allow ourselves to create and go forward. That, and there's always this, yeah. this, this bite. It's like, no, we can't do that. That's the one thing we can't do. We must go back. We must halt. We must inhibit. We must pause. We must pull the brakes. We can't let ourselves do that because that's crazy because that will, something will go wrong. It's this panic and neuroticism of someone stuck in their head as opposed to the artist to just type of trusts. And I think that's a very, very important thing to ground a lot of this stuff on. And, that, and that's so the you, just to speak to, to, to speak from Peterson's corner for a second. Uh, so I, I actually, I was a Jordan Peterson fellow at the Acton School of Business, which was a nice. one year fellowship. And I actually got, I got to work with his team, um, which is pretty cool. But uh, not to say that I could totally channel him, but to kind of try to speak from his body of work. What he would say in the same way that you could say that Marx is, an effective is an effective mind for diagnosing a problem, um, but completely lacking in offering a solution. So in the same way that you could say that Marx was a pretty good analyst and had insightful and interesting ways to understand the problems, but lacked cohesive solutions. I find that that's where Peterson places Nietzsche in terms of being essentially, and, and Peterson esteems him above almost anybody else other than Jung, um, but that he is the highest and and to your point of those interpretations boyo like he is the one who understands the problem but i think that where he or peterson would say that where he falls short is in a cohesive solution um which he would move to young and individuation like as the 
I think his like positive solution. Um, but yeah, just seeing it as Nietzsche being an analytical tool, but not a complete system of yes. like, okay, how should, how should I live my but life? That's what I was. Yeah. The, the, I think that, but this debate has been around like literally since the eighties, since, um, eighties since um alan bloom wrote um was it howard bloom or alan alan bloom wrote the closing of the american mind where he has this one interesting essay called left nietzscheanism and nowadays we're seeing sort of a revival of right-wing nietzscheanism with bap and other figures but really this has been the raging debate of okay so we have left nietzscheanism which is known as like you know perspectivalism leading into postmodernism delizigatari sort of take up that mantle michelle foucault is like the nietzschean of the era and all these thinkers that jordan peterson let's face it don't understand really uh being someone who's studied it's michelle true. foucault for years um and right nietzscheanism being sort of like this weird sort of like taking that and turning it into vitalism so i feel like this debate is still going on now it's still there but the problem i think with peterson is that he recognizes that nietzsche was like the spark of a lot of trajectory of perspectival thinking going into things such as pomo and, and all these other things but the way he like takes them and says like they're a sort of evil postmodern marxism it's it's not really grasping at why these things came about and why nietzsche was a sort of the watershed for a lot of different currents that were happening in western philosophy and thought at that time and the sort of his predictive the predictive ability of nietzsche to predict our modern epoch like come on that's like second to none but i mean come on i mean the if you read like about what he thought the future was going to be like i mean we're living in it right now i mean we are well and we're terribly modern that in that sense it's like we can't as much as we like to say we're still a product of our epoch despite the trad larping i mean you know what I mean? Like, I don't mean to bash the trads. Obviously, mm. I'm I'm with you, but it's like the the sort of trad larping of going to a different epoch. That's modernity has occluded a lot of those possibilities. Modernity. Sorry, I'm cutting you off, Ruboyo. Sorry, sorry. No, no, it's excellent, and these these are great points, and like they're they're really interesting things to to, to kind of hack away at because there's um there's a very very implicit suggestion, which is, for example. Like, it's so interesting to, to say that Nietzsche didn't offer a comprehensive solution. Like, he offered one of the most comprehensive solutions to this stuff. And he did it 150 years before it was even relevant, you know? Like, I was just discussing earlier how comprehensively he says that we need to begin on the first principle of the body and get that stuff correct and get health as, like, the absolute center point. And you get strong instincts. And then what you need to do is you need to release the Dionysian inhibits of the creative dreaming imagination and actually allow yourself to create and visualize and see a future and then to seize it and go for it and this is like actually incredibly coherent and i mean this not in like a oh there's my opinion like i i literally see this in a technical way when you get someone in who's broke down and depressed you're going to sit with them you're going to get their nutrition in order you're going to get their body in order you're going to get their weight lifting in order and then you're going to sit down and you're going to say what's your vision for the future what's your clear um vision on on this and then you're going to let them to you're going to bring them into their instincts and teach them to trust their ambition you're going to teach them to trust their dreams you're going 
going to teach them that they can be disciplined and get this stuff manifest. And that's how you save them. I don't save them by promising things. I don't save them with abstractions. I don't save them by telling them, oh, it's just you're going to get a house and a family like in the 1950s, bro. I don't I don't achieve that. And I don't mean that. I'm not saying that as an insult. I'm just pointing out in a very simple way. And it's important to discipline yourself to simplicity that this stuff actually does work. You could call this individuation if you want. But my experience with people who go through young stuff, they tend to be stuck in abstractions. They tend to be like trying to collect archetypes like they're play, playing Pokemon hmm. Go, not individuating. They, they, they think it's individuating, but it's lost in those abstractions. It's the priestly type in the bad way. Whereas instead, if you get all these things aligned, you create a healthy person quite quick. This can happen in, in less than a year quite often. And it's very, very straightforward. Now, why couldn't you scale that first principle onto a culture? Why couldn't that happen? Because you've got a culture of people. Maybe we do it as individuals. I don't know. But the same thing applies. Get the culture strong and healthy and then allow the culture to dream and let the culture trust its ambitions and instincts. And then boom, it all gets launched away. And I don't see how that wouldn't be um, intelligent. I don't see Nietzsche blatantly offered this. And he basically said that whoever is going to do this and seize the reality is going to win the postmodern problem. Postmodernism means there's all these perspectives and whoever seizes the vision of the future and seizes reality will claim the future. And this is something that like I, I, I like Jordan Peterson, but you have to look at his world is getting, he's getting steamrolled, you know, like it's, it's again, it's absolute utter destruction. It's like, you know, like look at Trump, you know, the representative of the conservatives and he's banned off all the social media, the people in the left with the visions, they're winning, man. They're destroying. They've got such a clear vision they're charging towards. And the Marxists have a clear vision they're charging towards the techno utopias. They, they know exactly where they're going. They might be wrong, but they're going somewhere. Those momentum. And you reach through Zarathustra, bro, 150 years before, well, 120 before all of this. You read through Zarathustra and he's constant. Nietzsche, Nietzsche is constantly saying, you know, look at these radical anarchist socialists. They're all frenzied and they're all excited. And look at you. Look at you. You are all depressed. You're all uninspired. You're all sitting around bored, complaining and reacting. I teach you the Ubermensch. He is that lightning. He is that friend. He's trying to say there's this is another direction you could go that's motivated and exciting. And that's his whole point is that like, listen, bro, like if you don't like this type of stuff, you're going to get beat by beaten by the people who do. This is the most important thing. And this is the postmodern problem. And it's going to happen. And we're living through it. And we're seeing it happening right in front of us. And this is what is so interesting is that inhibition. That is the really kind of key idea is like, why don't we just let ourselves go and let ourselves think differently and think big? And I find it a fascinating conversation. Um, so that's really all my thoughts. One quick thing I wanted to add with the uh, master-slave thing that I'm curious about is when it comes to having some kind of an opposition, some kind of a uh, something to struggle against, if we're talking about, from what I understand, this master-slave opposition, the way it works, maybe I'm wrong about it, but it's basically that there are certain things that people would not endure, like being captured and kept uh, in a condition of slavery. So in that sense, somebody would rather die or rather, you know, just like attack the enemy until, you know, they'd have to kill them, but they'll never be in chains. So that, I think, was the more of this master mentality when confronted against something that's going to entrap you. But the question is, at what point is something already uh, enough? At what point does it re reach the threshold of already being uh, something to fight against even though I think a lot of things that end up leading to a certain kind of tyranny, they don't happen overnight. I think it's kind of like the frog boiling effect. So at what point would it be right for people to say, okay, this is already going 
far enough beyond whatever I'm going to tolerate, and I'm going to strike out against this. I don't know what the answer there is, but that's like, I think that's kind of the condition a lot of us are living in. So I got a, I got a weird way of looking at this that goes into the master-slave morality. And not that I think a lot of the things that people usually say in response to what you're what you're talking about, Lev, are are like a decent options. But so the, one of the things I, I thought about the the master and slave morality stuff a lot when I was reading the essay, and I thought like, well, what happens if you just are under the thumb of a bunch of people? Does that mean that you're destined to be a slave? Does that and it, it doesn't appear that way, at least to me, in that your the the master slave morality is a is like a like a metaphysic first and foremost and and it's a as a metaphysic well, it's a diagnostic is, it's a diagnostic tool of a civilization's health or, well, well what, what i mean is is just from the center of somebody who sees things that way it's like does your worldview primarily uh does does your value of what is good primarily derive from things that are good fundamentally in of themselves or is it derived from things that oppose people who you have resentment towards? And uh, and I don't think that you need to be primarily resentful, even if you are under oppression. I think that like you and and there's there's got to be some kind of some kind of like value function where your oppression levels have to reach like a certain level before you're better off just being resentful. Uh, before you know what I mean like there's probably a long point in time where you can be oppressed but you're better off just like focusing on being like like a fountain of value in the way that like a human being can naturally be and so the the this is a bit of a weird comparison but I think there's actually quite quite valuable in that if you look at the African-American you know, sort of struggle um, my opinion about this is that there's kind of two tracks there's the there's like the civil rights group and then there's the like the the culturally vibrant, uh, mm. like musical and all this kind of stuff. And I believe like that just my impression that the 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 people who made beautiful music and who made beautiful cultural productions and innovated in all these different musical genres created much more dignity in the end for mm. black people in America than the people who were engaged in the the civil rights stuff which is which is technically it's just essentially complaining whether you you have somebody to complain about but you're just complaining and it's it's commuting your resentment so the point is that like uh i think even it's like you were being oppressed okay i actually think that people like us are under oppression to a degree because we're having like our viewpoints and so on are being expunged from the online and all this kind of stuff but like, forget that, like, okay, you're being oppressed, but that doesn't mean that you have to uh, be resentful. And that doesn't mean that your main thing is to fight back. Maybe what that means is that you still want to transform into a, uh, like a noble morality, master morality that is like fundamentally based on value. And, and like, if people, I don't want to be the guy who's like, everybody needs to stop complaining about politics. But like, if you, if everybody stopped complaining about politics and rediscovered this, to what degree would the mental freedom afforded to you by being based and red pill? To what degree would that uh, <laughs> be a foundation for like an extremely vibrant cultural movement if mm. only it could it could free itself from resentment? Well, I, I, I agree totally. And and to that point, uh, to push back on you, Uber Boy, a little bit, like oh. this is a this is a massively uh, a widespread and distributed. Uh, 
community or network. You know, uh, Balaji's recently been writing really interesting things on how to create this decentralized countries, essentially. But um, just because the movement is on mute within the public sphere, um, not only does the American culture war and the meta Western European culture war get exported to countries all around the world, there are then mimicking factions. Um, you know, these uh, the Russians with attitude who are friends of BAP talk about how there's like Russian 17 year olds who make like despite 13 percent jokes in Moscow who have never seen a black person in their lives. And like That's there's, crazy. there's this widespread mimetic nature of the culture war yeah, and the degree to which like Nigeria. <laughs> totally. And, and the degree to which you I just think that the bleakness with which you paint it, I, I do not disagree that the leftists are striving towards a hill that they have painted in their minds, and it is a clear vision. But the degree to which the lives of individuals in this like dispersed movement across the world are moving in harmony in a quiet, decentralized way, um, I, I think can, cannot be under, you are un understating it. Um, Fair. And at the end of the day, institutional power is crumbling. Like not holding the media and academia is meaning less and less by the year as it gets diluted. Like like the concept of those um, cultural frameworks even being important or significant. Um, well, speaking you know. of institutionalized media, I just wanted to quickly mention that when our relatives from Russia came here to the U.S., one of the first questions they asked us is like, how often do the lynchings of the black people take place? Because they literally thought that this is something because their media told them. The Russian media tells Russians that Americans are rabid racists and they constantly, uh, you know, just punish and kill black people just like for, for nothing every single day. And this is just well, like a past. That's, that, that's actually very old Soviet propaganda. Yeah. Uh, very effective. But um, anyways, guys, it's been great talking. I got to sign off. Uh, Uberboyo, I'd love to have another conversation sometime. Uh, you guys have been great. Sorry to be off video and uh, zipping around today with bad audio. Yeah. No problem care, at all. And I'm going to let you know how the uh, fitness regime works. I uh, did the deadlift today. Unfortunately, didn't get a chance to do the other ones of that set. But the the two days before, I did the up day and then the uh, pull day. So there we go. I would love yeah. to before and I would love to before and after you. <laughs> yeah, let, let, let's see what happens. So yeah, uh, let me know if I can I can talk to you about this Nietzsche stuff as I'm starting to like dig into it in, in a serious way over the next months or so. Yes. Totally. I'd oh. love to like book, even book club some of it. Maybe do like a directed reading, and then we could like jump on a call and have a have a chat about it. Dude, that'd be fucking based. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, shoot, shoot me a Excellent. message. Guys, sub subscribe uh, to uh, Thad. I'm gonna post a Twitter. And uh, by the way, Steph, I. I don't want to take advantage of the fact that you are such a kind-hearted kind -hearted person that you are here with us talking. I wanted to ask you uh, one thing about dreams. And uh, before that, I also wanted to show you one thing about Irish mythology, if so, you would uh, per per permit so. I don't know how much time you have right now. I, I, well, I'm starting to run out, but I fucking love talking about this shit, man. So give me give me, <laughs> give me, me a second to just address uh, the, the discussion about hip-hop, for example. So and sure. that's, that's a really good question to bring up because a lot of people are 
like, oh, the, 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 we're oppressed, we're in this terrible situation. And of course, you want to be careful because you do stand, you do tend to lean towards whining. But of course, you also want to be aware, like when, when the chips are down, it's like, oh, I'm getting punched in the face. Wait a second, this yeah. isn't good. So there has to be a sort of balance to this. Now, of course, the and um, one of the best reactions I've, I've seen to it in recent times, uh, the best descriptions is, of course, the hip hop movement. Exactly. And, and it's master morality and slave morality. This is why I'm a little bit dismissive of that. I think they're very useful categories to to diagnose um, certain things. But I actually try to look at the fundamental physiological, psychological um, source of what we could call the good thing, the thing we want to happen. And so, for example, the, the African-Americans were stuck in the ghettos and they began to visualize a future. They began to dream. They began to see themselves winning. They began to see ways that they could make their vibe come true. They, they began to find ways that they can make their instincts strong. They began to express themselves, if you want to think about it in that, in that way. They began to let their creativity out. And some of it was very like, you know, they had just scratched DJs. It wasn't the most like, it wasn't like Mozart or anything like that. But my God, it had energy and it was real and it had a vision tied up to it. And when the ascendancy of the 90s came and you had people like Jay-Z, look at Jay-Z now, he's like a billionaire, you know? And this was a, an incredible situation where like a lot of those people were stuffed to the bottom of the floor and whatnot. And maybe, you know, maybe it was like, I, I don't know, maybe it's not all that it seems to be, but nonetheless, it doesn't really, really matter because it shows you quite clearly how this stuff works. The people who are under the foot, they don't, they ignore the oppression. They, they deal with the oppression and they constantly create vision. They all constantly create dreams. They create, they become creative no matter not. They're not reactionary. And this is, I think, one of the big serious problems is that the, the, the movements we see a lot now are very intellectual and that's jargon, abstractions and sterile. It's not creative. I'm not seeing movies popping out. I'm not seeing stories and all that type of stuff popping out. And look, I understand that it's not necessarily like we, it is a sort of philosophical issue, if you will. But like my interest, like I really want to go in the direction of art. I really want to pull on that. I think that's one thing that makes my channel kind of funny is that it is like a little bit more colorful than you'd expect for someone talking about like dry academia and all that type of stuff. Um, and this is a really important thing to understand. I look at the Irish nationalists and how they claimed Ireland from England, if you want to think about it that way. It's absolutely fascinating how much these guys falsified history, like all these fantasies about um, about Agartha and all that type of stuff. The Irish took that stuff and they used it and abused it in order to get the nation free. They sat down and they said, we're all Celts. Like we look at the genetics, for example, it's like, bro, I'm not even sure if we're really necessarily all Celts. Like it's a very, very sketchy thing to say. It's like, we're all, we all run around in, in, farms going diddly eye boys we're all drunks <laughs> and like this is basically just a, a propaganda we sent to america like the hotels Yes, ab absolutely. And we had all this stuff that we were just like unique people. And then out of that comes like, we're the people from the Bible, as it always does. And uh, oh, we got all the Irish music. You listen to modern Irish trad music. It's literally end of 19th century music. That's what it is. It's just this frozen in time period when all these poets were coming up, creating the myths, creating the stories, creating the music, creating the vision. That was sort of our hip hop movement, if you know what I mean. And it built up this great amount of energy. And then it burned out. Once we got the national government sorted out, then it was like we all got drunk again and, and fucked up and that was the end of that but it's like the same sort of situation is that when you're under the foot you can always be creative you can always create a, a vision in some type of sense and it's a very very nece necessary thing to keep in mind who are the people who are uh they're uh not in spain but they're close to spain but they have their own basques. language basques yes basques, basques exactly so they are a thing like 
are the most, uh, you know, kept together group of people as far as not really having that much contact with other peoples until recently, from what I understand, you know, keeping their own language and all that, they trace their whole thing to Atlantis. And as far as the uh, Irish or the Scots or whatever, I don't know how they came there. One of the theories that I'm leaning on is that, you know, again, with the cataclysm, that there was kind of like a, a uh, evacuation period for a lot of people where they could kind of like retrace certain things. But what I wanted to focus on here, the second to last thing is this fairy classification. So there's a really interesting book I recommend everybody to read named Daimonic Reality by uh, Patrick Harper. This is a book that uh, Daniel Pinchbeck recommended to me back in the day, and it classifies a lot of these various spectral entities that people encounter. And here is the fairy classification. So it goes as follows. I may be prejudiced, but of all the Celtic fairies, I like the Irish the best. They are less dark than their Scottish counterparts, more beautiful even than the Welsh, Tilwith, Teg, fair family, more noble than the Cornish Pixies, less associated with the dead than the Breton Corrigans. I am not referring to the child size or tiny fairies already mentioned, but to that race of fairy variously called Tuatha di Danan, Sidhe, good people, or by one peasant seer of Sligo, the gentry, uh, the folk are the grandest I have ever seen. They are far superior to us, and this is why they are called the gentry. They are a military aristocratic class, tall, noble appearing. They are a distinct race between our race and that of spirits, as they have told me. Their qualifications are tremendous. We would cut off half the human race, but would not, they said, for we are expecting salvation. And I knew a man three or four years ago whom they struck down with par paralysis. Their sight is so penetrating that I think they would see through the earth. They have a silvery voice, quick and sweet. The music they play is the most beautiful. They take the whole body and soul of young and intellectual people who are interesting, transmuting the body to a body like their own. So there we go. That's uh, one description. I don't know if uh, you're familiar with that particular one, but I just wanted to share that with you. Well, if, if you want my take, like I don't, I don't have any comprehensive take. I think um, there's a possibility that Lord of the Rings was a documentary and the elves... <laughs> yeah go around ireland it's it's actually very funny because you go around ireland because ireland would be like a melting pot of um five races mythologically so you have like the fomorians who are the people i talked to were sort of like i don't even know what they were but there was atlantis involved in that it seems or something like some type of evil western city and then you have the north coming to a day down at the people of day like are, were they who were they? And then I meet people around Ireland and, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm brown haired. I'm sort of the Roman Celtic Gaelic um, Gaulish look or something. Maybe not Gaulish, but I've, I've got that type of look. I'm, you know, brown haired, brown eyed. Um, I have that look that actually might even be Indo-European in some type of sense. And um, whereas I see these people who they, I think there might be North Swedish type characters, you know, you would think of them this way, but they're Irish, you know, and they're, huge like so tall they look like legolas they're super tall their skin is really tanned and they've got these lightning blue eyes and they're like incredible figures to behold you know and they're very like airy fairy they're like these sort of elf like people they genuinely are just kind of like out of touch it's kind of funny to talk to them and i'm kind of, i look at these people you know and i look at them reading the myths i'm like are you are they, are they the leftovers of the two of the down or something like that because a lot of people look like me and then you get these other people who are bitter uh you, you this would be the type of stuff you'd see in the old angle 
Anglo propaganda, you know, people who have who um, have a propensity towards drinking and are a bit kind of like the nose is all knobbly and stuff like this. And you're like, what's going on here? And so I always wonder, like, I wonder, is there dwarfs living among us? Is there hobbits? And is there like, I don't know, even know what I am. And I don't, do I, am I a mix or something like that? And then do you have the the elves, this, these noble elves and, and these strange characters. And there's very few of those. Oh, and the other thing is the redheads. So the redheads are not that common as much as you'd think. There's like 10, 15%. So there's like- there's, That's why I keep dreaming of redhead girls all the time, but go on. Nice, nice, nice. Well, there's something about that. Like it's it's this um this strange sort of faction among us. You know, there's this these redheads, and and you're perfectly used to them when you grow up, and they're often like they can be very, very beautiful, or very, very ugly. Like there's, there's no in between or something. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. But I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like they're they're around, and are, are they like are they some type of magic race? And then there's all this stuff about ORH negative blood, for example. So they they like the Irish have like the highest level. I think among the Scots and the Irish have the highest level of ORH negative, which is like some really weird thing. And then you have the the most redheads in Ireland and Scotland. And I I don't know, bro. Like it's absolutely it's it's well, very very nice stuff. We're, we've, yeah. Well, the last thing the last thing that I will leave you with is uh, this uh, part of the passage passage that I found really fascinating, where was where he was talking about them being in between us and the spirits and what i think that relates to is if we take this other idea again that i have my crazy idea of involution then it could be possible that higher or previous forms that kind of let's say would come out just like be brought forth from the third eye from the star from the light whatever you want to call it it would be light beings that would eventually start to solidify over time. So you would go from beings of pure ideas into beings that start getting caught up in this reality that they're in now, and all of a sudden they're stuck in the cycle and they're getting more solidified over time, and this reality that we're living in right now is kind of like the agreed-upon solidified reality that we're all stuck in, and so we live in all these cycles of birth, death, war, all this stuff, and in a way, you're right that the archaic Greeks, maybe they had it comfier when they were controlled by these higher entities, when they were like the fingers of the hand, but the problem is that you can't grow, you're still stuck in the fucking cycle. So this may be where going through a way that's, for not all not all but some to get out of that cycle so that's, that's the last thing i want to leave you with no the last thing i want to leave you with well, no that's that's a good yeah. take by the way that that okay. is a, like you know like yeah. i i was very much here today talking from a very materialistic Nietzschean perspective because I'm just sort of into that right now and I get that that can be kind of frustrating sometimes because it's like it's very oh, it's reductionist very but at the same time what you're describing there like I don't think there's any reason you can't allow your mind to dance that way like it's important to bring yourself down to realism and be like get your fucking you know get get, get an income and like get get physiologically in a good shape but you know allow yourself to dream it's important and and I don't see any any reason why we we couldn't possibly have this experience of of like all right well wait a second maybe the world is not all it's seen you take enough drugs and something will happen and you hear enough stories and you experience enough synchronicities that you have to be like there's there might be something behind the veil and all these stories from the past about archons and entities and demons and angels and all this type of stuff like i'm willing to give these people in the past the credit to say that they weren't just like you know bullshit and then richard dawkins got it right and all that there's very very possibly something going on there and i don't know like it, uh, one one theory i like built upon gerard is that the you know the, the world might be a samsara of churning arconic tr trauma that's like a harvest for our souls and then christ came down and he, he presented that, himself that and sacrifice said, the scapegoat is one that redeems um civilization till the ultimate act of re redemption in christ i mean that's gerard's point yeah. but also i, I i'm curious to know uh, 
I guess it's it's pretty late in, in Ireland right now. It's got yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I gotta bounce yeah. very soon. But go on, go on, go on. I, but it's, like it's I guess both. final final thoughts would be um. I remember, oh, I forget who said it about that. Soon we will enter into a sort of uh, a weird like Jungian century. Um, do you think that? <laughs> do do you think that in some ways? Um, I mean, certainly, I mean, it's very easy to sort of like point to Jordan Peterson and be like, well, that's kind of just like self-help grifting for incels or whatever. But like, um, there, there's certainly something to be said about how uh, without, uh, ostensibly without any sort of higher order, people are going off in their own direction. And there's um, a, a bunch of supplicants to what is more natural to us because most people um you know Nietzsche the famous quote you know what is it um it it, it takes an immense price to have the privilege of owning your own self mm-hmm. what what sort of is your vision of the future when we enter a time where more than ever because of various uh, things that are going on right now uh without mentioning for the youtube algorithm uh people are asked of themselves to not be sort of uh, actualized or why even that word actualized is you know another self-help buzzword but we're sort of being asked to become as stultified and as introverted and as isolated from each other more than ever and it's all it's all in a sort of bargain to preserve bare life above all else like this is literally what this is Nietzsche's nightmare what we're living through right now it's to preserve bare life it's to listen to the maggots on the bread of life in the marketplace and to preserve that which is just like this this clutching on um uh, which is driven by fear and death denial this sort of clutching of of just material life without any sort of verve or substance because we can't really um go towards those possibilities anymore because then like the mass the the herd will um tell us that we're going to kill grandmother or something so what do you feel is the role of both Nietzsche and Jung in our current um world situation or world picture uh where do you see the future going (laughs) um so it's a great question and it's it's a very, very interesting one. So I did lay out certain first principles throughout the conversation here that I think are incredibly important to, to highly discipline your mind too, because fundamentally the future is going to be predicated on the same principles as the past. As much as like, it feels like it's the end of the time, I've got to go with those you know, first principles, because it's, it's the only way I can control chaos. If this is the end of the fucking time, I'm I'm out of here. I'm done. It's like, Jesus, please, the trauma, samsara, I'm sorry, please (laughs) take me. But instead I I, got to sort of say to myself, all right, well, listen, and operantly through the past, the, 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 the people who are incorrect and weak, and I mean, weak in discipline and weak in spirit and, and incorrect, weak, um, not in tune with reality and not making the right moves. They fundamentally ended up in the losing position and they suffered. The weak suffer what they must. The strong do as they so wish. And I don't mean that as like, oh, Chad bodybuilder and all that type of stuff, but literally the realistic, the people who put themselves in a strong position are going to deal with the chaos better. And they might even have a joyous experience for all we need. And it might even be very, very quick, uh, very, very quick if you do it smart. Now, what is sort of happening right now is the churning of the last man, as we say, and it's, um, it's going to happen. It's going to get worse. And that's just one faculty and one force that's going to be in play. And I think what I'd suggest is that if like for most people just 
get as realistic about what's going on and look and say to yourself, like, what counts as a very effective set of steps to put me in the best position so that I can, at the very least, say, individuate and act, actualize so I'm not, haven't got that type of pressure. How does that type of work? And Thad was talking about it, about the, the power of decentralization and these sort of mm. things spreading out. Um, but in terms of what the future is going to look like is that, I would look at these two forces, this great swath of the last man, and I would look at that becoming a, a incredible entity of power, an incredibly scary one. And I would be looking at the, the, the awakening and the realizing that it's like, oh my God, we have to do something. We have to figure out, like a lot of people are very pissed off about this and they're trying to react and put in a position of like health and excellence and striving and higher ascendant life and all this type of stuff. And that might be the culture that births the Ubermensch because now the, the talk is over. Like the last couple, of, like the last year or so, the talk is over. There's no this debate about whether like, oh, is the Ubermensch relevant? Is Nietzsche right? Is Young right? Like, is like Molly Meme said, the time for arguments is over. The over. time for... Yeah, and, and this this is this is sort of it. This is sort of it. It's like the the like Nietzsche's prophecy came true, and and Jung's like I I've read Jung. Jung doesn't make much prophecies, and he doesn't offer comprehensive solutions. And he he offers really cool things, I think, for stuff like artists and and, and er, interpreting symbols and understanding those type of principles. But it's not a comprehensive life philosophy. It's not um something that's going to save anyone. And I mean this because I actually work with people who read a lot of Jung, and they, their heads are not screwed on straight in some type of sense. So I'm I'm not sure if it's going to be like a Jung in future i think it's going to be a physiological future i think that's the most like think about what's happening now it's what, what is the first principle of the whole drama it's like to do with the body it's it's all about that that's that's where it's going to come from that's been the biggest thing that sort of went down and there's a jungian madness to it as well certainly a sort of psychosis but fundamentally it's safety the last man in the body and out of that comes the 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 assertion what is real what is instinctive what is true which is going towards that type of thing now how that plays out bro i'm i i'm not well, smart I, enough i i remember i was watching um i believe it was um what's the uh, what's the catholic channel ewtn i think it was like father uh baron the the weightlifter that 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 bishop bishop Bear. christianity guys yeah yeah he, he had this very interesting critique of young and being someone who's read young for years now um, for decades, even uh, the critique being that young lends itself inherently to this sort of like this, this like weird, like um, haphazard new ageism that destructured a lot of authority. And in, in, he was oh, talking yeah. about the church, but in, in a way like young is not to be treated lightly because then young would lend itself to a lot of the trends that we're seeing now and really like the co-opting of a lot of the new age from forces of like reification and the corporatocracy like literally like this is where mindfulness this is like california buddhism this is where you know zizek talks about how um buddhism will be the religion of the future because the corporations they could like easily exploit it um by the way i paid quite a few <laughs> um i i uh paid quite a bit more than my usual concert price to go and see the uh, Zizek uh, Jordan Peterson debate. It wasn't a debate. It was a jerk off fest, but uh, I I did it. I did it for the meme. I did it to live tweet it. But um, so do you see that like maybe not that we should forget Nietzsche, but I'm sorry, not that we should forget young, but rather that there's limitations. Oh yeah. I think what you're talking about here is a very interesting conversation. Cause of course, like it's, it's a judge that 
tree by its fruit question to, to mm. quote Jesus, you know, mm. it is a sort of situation of like, look at the Nietzscheans. And I think when you read Nietzsche properly, and you look at the people who've read him properly, like I see, I see it on Twitter. Like there's this group of people who are like physiologically psychopathic. They're like, oh, you've got a lift over everything, bro. And then they've got all these like silly, funny memes. And they're just very, very humorous and sarcastic. And they're just sort of like, you know, it's like a post-physique attitude. I actually yeah. see that as like a very fertile production out of Nietzsche. Now there's a vast majority that come out of him as well that are very, very bad as well. Young is sort of similar. Like there's this little niche that comes out of him, which you might call the, 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 the true art who actually use him in that type of way and understand that and really pull out his dreams out of that. I try my best to, to, to be of that kind of ilk, if you will. And then I see alongside of that, I see a desperately pathological, unhelpful, it's, it's the thing I'm talking about, the neurotic stuck in the head, jargonizing all oh, everything's an archetype there's like it's almost like you know you're descending up into this this conceptual realm and then of course as you said it, it tends to lend towards very very um, subtle pernicious things such as like there is no biological reality my problems are mm. archetypical there is no um, authority there's no such thing as hierarchy and all these type of things and, and 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 it's very 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 floozy and loose in this type of thing and it's um it's i i don't i see people who, who come in in many different ilks and to be honest the most chad ones are the Christians and I'd say the Nietzscheans. That's the people who I see coming mm. in. The Jungians are almost always, you know, um, skinny arms struggling. Well, well that's uh, that's the thing. Like I, I I remember this when Terrence McKenna got his like sort of revival, um, and, and Alan Watts. You could say like there was three waves of the New Age. One being the in the sort of the '60s, then the '90s. I would say there was a big one, and which Terrence ushered in. Then like around the mid 2000s, there was this like blip of like. Facebook, uh, people sharing yeah. Alan Watts lectures. But I noticed the shift as I grew into more, what would you say, reactionary, trad, uh, perennialist politics. Um, I mean, I'm, I have my critiques of them. But the more I grew into that, I noticed this weird shift with a lot of the New Agers, the sort of people that take psychedelics and they read Young, they read Alan Watts. And, and uh, they sort of like were really captivated by like during the Gamergate days, the sort of like, uh, what would you call them? Like the ra radical liberalism, because I hate the the SJW term is sort of played out, right? But like, let's say they they all like sort of switched, and and Trump, the era of Trump, like the the archetypal energy that came up. I mean, we could talk about this for hours, but those people, they were the first ones to uh, catch the uh, derangement syndrome, and that was like this weird shift of like maybe this us like maybe there's something more than just like looting these traditional cultures of their nuggets of wisdom that yeah. <laughs> maybe perhaps the sort of reactionary things that you don't like about them. Maybe they were the linchpin to why those traditions work to begin with. And so the problem with like the way Jungianism is taken up the way that even Nietzsche was taken up for a while by the new agers, by the way, because there was a period where they loved him too. <laughs> they sort of, they didn't grasp the fundamental teachings there and they have this very like derooted urban bug man worldview. And like, of course they're going to be like, well, you know, all of this is fascism at the end. I remember yeah, I could see it. I saw it with my own eyes on Facebook back in the day before I, 
thank God landed on Twitter. So, um, but maybe no, maybe it was a curse. Who knows? But uh, maybe a horror Mazda is telling me to go on Twitter and tricking me. Uh, but <laughs> so this has been such a great conversation. You you yes. must come again. You must Absolutely. come again with my friend in the chat, Astro Flight Astro. He's asking. I would. So, I'd uh, love to. I, yeah. I, I I sent him a message. I we were talking on Twitter. Yeah. And if he uh, yeah, I, I don't know was he asking any questions there today because I wanted to banter. But yeah, I'd love to come on board. Like I love talking about this stuff i love talking absolute crazy and wacky mm -hmm. and um i think there's a lot of interesting things and like you do have to forgive me a little bit because i try to build up a lot of context because it's almost yeah. like it's not necessarily what i think but the, the way i'm looking at it that i think is important absolutely, absolutely. well one, la one last question it sh should be a really quick one how do we find a link to this um uh piece you wrote about this technique for uh making your own red book which involves meditating upon a certain object and having thoughts and writing them down maybe oh, that's all there castle. is maybe i just said it i don't know I, I, I'm doing a lot of that in my program at the moment, not necessarily like make your own red book and all that type of stuff, but I'm like training people communication skills and writing and all that type of stuff. So that's the sort of business side of things. People come in, they and, work with me in a personal sense. And then they- And uh, here's where you can go, uberboyo.com slash coaching. Yes. You've heard yes. it here. This is where you go right now. All the people who are watching this, you need this man in your life. I guarantee it. This is going to be a great transformation for you personally if you, uh, if you do this. So go to that link right now follow uberboyo on twitter i am sure you all it's, are it's, yes it's all a griff lads i'm telling you this is all a griff <laughs> and, and on, coaching like asap speaking of reactionary on thursday we also have another great youtuber oro mcintyre and yes, by the way right. subscribe to my own youtube channel i'm going to release a video tomorrow about uh it's good but it's about art criticism it's uh about the surface of painting but so i'm i'm nowhere near your uh youtube feats of course I'll get there one day. Send, but, me, uh, send me send me some of your paintings if you could. If you could yeah, make sure. If you want some artwork, I'm 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 also into printmaking recently as well with uh, lino cut and etching. So I I have some plans on the way that may maybe jibe with your jibe with your aesthetic. But, can you um, do um? Can you do any uh, digital? So I know that's the most fucking soulless I thing ever. After what I just said, like well, speaking of no, speaking of soulless digital have, stuff, that, that's Lev what I can do. do it. I have friends yes. that do it, but Lev is also an artist and animator. He started off on Newgrounds back in the day. So yeah, uh, so, so subscribe to uh, subscribe to superair.com. Well, subscribe to my YouTube page, and you will have links there to my crypto art superair.com/slash/lefpoliakov. I'm actually going to re-upload this uh, piece over here that I'm going to be showing off on the uh, on the chat. Peer reminder, just because it does not work on mobile on mobile, but you could see the animation over here in uh, in Jeff form of this strange looking pyramid over here moving. And there's like an HD version, but apparently I need to have it down to the size fewer than 2,500 pixels. So I'm going to change that. I'm going to unupload this one, re-upload a new one. But these are the NFTs that I'm making right now. Buy my NFTs, hashtag invest in Lev. There we go. So I just wanted to get that out there. Go to Geo, go to Lev, go to Uberboyo, and Daruma. Do you have anything you want to promote before we go, my friend? Just uh, check me out on Twitter. I got a YouTube channel that's on there. The YouTube stuff is, I'm just getting started with it. So, you know, bear with me. But I, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to get comfortable with, with the medium. So, you know, keep, keep your eyes open for more. 
More good so stuff. excellent here. Follow Daruma Radio on Twitter and follow his uh, YouTube page. Subscribe to Daruma Radio on And on YouTube. Thursday, we got Oral McIntyre. That's right. We have Oren McIntyre on Thursday. And in fact, oh, oh when we this... forgot to show the Patreon love of you. Have, no, yeah, um... yeah, yeah. I'm going to do it real fast. I'm I, do, the I do these woodblock prints. Um, yes. And in fact, this time, I actually want to have the uh, woodblock called... prints being visible to uh, uh, yeah. hold on to Steph. Let me see if I could actually do that, but I'm going to show off them first here. Okay, first of all, if you become a $5 patron, you are going to get access to our super secret areas of the Discord. You'll be able to write inside of BTR chat in the window there with your own avatar and everything. You can post images, but once again, that is a that is a privilege, not a right. So you, you know what I mean by that. Anyway, when you get a $20 uh, patronage, you are going to get one of Giovanni Penichetti Wait, no, no. When you uh, you are going to get a beautiful magnet from my father. Here are some of the magnets. He is working right now on a definitely legit magnet. That one is almost done. And then he's going to finish the uh, the uh, uh, fat lioness, the inflated lioness magnet. So that one is coming into fruition soon. This is the printing process of Giovanni Panettieri's stream. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to see this here thing over here. I'm going to attempt to actually put it into... Uh, let's see one second. Here we go. Uh, I'm going to attempt to open it up. Man, uh, hold on. Properties. Here we go. Hold on. Can I find it here? I... Okay. Uh, no, that's not it. Okay. God damn it. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to find this Patreon print and put it over here. One second. And everybody, subscribe. Geo, can you encourage the good people to subscribe while I'm looking for this thing? Because yeah. I want to show your so print off. So also, $50 patrons, you get everything plus a Warhammer 40k uh, figurine that's painted by Jules. And you will get a custom magnet created by Lev's father, who is also a great artist, um, Alexander Polyakov. You'll get everything else. Uh, you also get a painting by me of Bob Ross painting. Here, here's the print. Oh, so there now, you go. Now, Uber Boyo, you can see it too, and Daruma Rado, you can see it too. I did this series called That Fiorenno GF, where it's like... Uh, I've seen yeah, these. These are, these are beautiful. Yeah, well, th this one, yeah, um, you'll get one of five. But I, I just, I figured like I'm bringing memes into sort of like a state of permanence by turning them into works of art, something that by definition is impermanent. I, I remember we talked about this with meme analysis, but I feel like the, the memes are such a popular form of archetypal expression nowadays. Mm, and it's, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Anyways, holy like, shit, yes. it's probably, it's probably like one thirty or something. Where you yes, are. this is it. Well, so, guys, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. Uber Boyo, thank you so much. The Rumor Radio, thank you so much. Oren yeah. McIntyre, Thursday, 6 o'clock. Once this stream ends, you are going to see the link. Click that link. Click the bell, by the way. Click the bell so that you keep getting updates on Break the Rules. We are here. We are queer. We are not going to stop here. You'll <laughs> no. keep going. And we, and we love you all. So, that's it. This is the end. God subscribe. Bless. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Okay, here we go. I am ending the stream. One awesome. second, here we go live. Thanks a lot, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.